0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: The following is a presentation
2: of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball.
3: This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics.
4: Marshall,
5: We are back. It is a Wednesday. We are ready to rock. The president of your Oakland Athletics, Dave Cavill, is going to join us at 1.30. We were just trying to figure out, when's the last time we saw saw anybody? Like, I don't think I've seen Dave Cavill in over a year. Like, I hadn't seen my brother in over a year. I mean, it's crazy. Jared Diamond from Wall Street Journal will be here at 2 o'clock. It's a Wednesday, so it means Ray Fossey will be here at 2.30. Cole Irvin, the brand-new pitcher that's coming to the athletics from the Philadelphia Phillies, he's going to join us at 3. And then the voice of your A's, Ken Korak, will be here at 3.30. So Cavill at one thirty, Diamond at 2, Fossey at 2.30, Irvin at 3, and Ken Korak at 3.30. Cody, how are you?
6: As I mentioned to you as right before we came on the air, I'm very excited because now that we're back on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we can talk about it being Wine Wednesday again. I'm very excited. Wine Wednesday. That will happen later today. But uh, everything's good, man. Uh, you know, th- we're getting closer and closer to spring training starting, so baseball is right around the corner.
5: Yeah, and then, you know, some really more important things than baseball is what has been decided and been announced that the A's are going to partner with the white house and governor Gavin Newsom and the Coliseum will be the first federal operated vaccination super site in the country. I did not know that Cody.
6: Yeah, it's, it's pretty big news. This is happening. I believe, you know, it's us. And I want to say, um, I want to say it's university of California or, uh, somewhere down in LA I'm trying to find the, I have the press release um, for what it is, but it's the Coliseum in Cal State, uh, Cal State LA. So is that that's UCLA, isn't it? No, Cal State LA is a state school. Okay, so yeah, it's us and Cal State LA are the two that they're launching. So up north and south.
5: Yeah, Cal State LA is you know it's like San Jose State or San Francisco State or San Diego State. Okay. Where UCLA is a part of the UC system, which is Berkeley, UCLA. You know, UC San Diego. You know, Fullerton.
6: Fullerton is a Cal State. Okay, see, there we go. Okay, see, you're gonna be all confused all these states. Uh, I'm used to Pitt, Penn State, and California University of Pennsylvania and Indiana University of Pennsylvania. So
5: there's the California State School System, which is, you know, San Jose State, San Francisco State, Sacramento State, Long Beach State, Fullerton State, Cal State L A, San Diego State. So they're they're the California State School System. The UCs are their
6: own school system. Okay, I know you're saying. Like Humboldt State is right. a state school. Humboldt State is a California
5: state okay. school. Fresno State, even though we wish we could boot them out, <laughs> uh, they are a part of California state school system also. So we're talking about, a, and we're talking to Dave Cavill about this, as, you know, we need to use all the resources we possibly can to help fight COVID-19. And, you know, when you're you're putting a site like this together, you're talking about vaccinating thousands of people a day, and of course we're the most populated state, so it's going to take a while. But that is just good news. So we're going to, you know, ask how this is, how it went down, how's it going to go down. Uh, are they going to need volunteers? Uh, is there a way A's fans can help out at the Coliseum in any way? So Dave Cavill will be here at 1:30, and then we'll, you know, ask him about, you know, what's going on with the new ballpark. Because we know things have really slowed down. Why? Because you can't meet. No one's been able to meet. So that's uh, that's been one of the bad things of, of the many bad things that have been going on in our lives with uh, COVID-19 and our hopeful recovery of COVID-19. So a signing has gone down, Cody. Uh, Soria will be leaving the Oakland Athletics, and he's heading to the Valley of the Sun on a one-year deal uh, to play for the D-backs. Is that correct?
6: That is correct. Ken Rosenthal with the report a little bit earlier, around the 12 o'clock hour, uh, the news went down. So, sorry, uh, the latest uh, free agent to go. But he's going to Arizona on a one-year deal. Um, You know, he's in his late 30s. But uh, it's a nice add for a uh, a D-backs team that, you know, we still don't know what direction they're going. Um, Are they trying to win or are they not trying to win? They got some pieces there. But, you know, our good friend Tori Lovello, the manager, uh, well, we, we, we want to root for them, but it, it's hard when we don't know what the direction they're heading in. But uh, sorry to the D-backs. Ken Rosenthal earlier today confirmed.
5: Well, if, if you are the D-backs, if you are the Giants and you are the Rockies, you, you're you not competing with the Dodgers or the Padres. I mean, if we just go off talent, the talent for those three other teams versus what the Dodgers and the Padres got. It just doesn't compare. Your starting pitching doesn't compare. Your bullpen doesn't compare. Your 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 firepower does not compare at all. So I, I mean you could kind of see those those three franchises going, you know, twenty twenty one probably not going to be our year. I mean you you trade Nolan Arenado. What do you I mean what are you saying for twenty twenty one and and beyond? Right? I mean, you're not going to compete. Rockies aren't going to compete. The Giants aren't going to compete, and neither are the Dbacks. I, that is a that is a two horse race in that division. Um, it, it doesn't pain me to lose him. I mean, as he gets older, you know, and we were thinking about this. We were kicking around today because I know a lot of people are are still upset about Marcus Simeon. But I think for me, and I hate to see Marcus go. I'll be honest. I I, I think Marcus Simeon is salt of the earth, man. This guy is, when you talk about just an all-around really good person, you know, I mention this all the time, what my late father would say. He would always say, you could tell he was raised right. You know, Marcus's dad, who played at Cal, would call my post-game show, um, and we end up hitting it off. And at first it was a little rough because that was the period of time where Marcus was making a ton of errors, but uh, he figured it out. You know, we saw Marcus and his wife down at the winter meetings and his wife was giving us the thumbs up that she wanted to stay here. But, you know, our front office really has a pretty good track record. And and I know some people are going to say, oh, Townsend, you're just saying that because you work for the team now. Well, I mean, that's not the case. I say it because the proof's in the pudding. I've told all of you for a long time, you got to get over the name on the back of the jersey. The only name that matters is the name on the front of the jersey. That's all that matters. Certain franchises have been successful with a model that you may not like. But you know what? They only care about one thing. That's wins. Billy Bean said on my old show, we had Mark McGuire and we didn't, we we had Mark McGuire. He hit more home runs than anybody and we didn't draw. What are we talking about? And the reality for me is, and I did this little thing with Cody earlier and I'll, and, and if we could take phone calls, I'd throw it out there. How many of these guys that have left the A's would you still want? I, You guys all want these. I, we like this guy. Sign him. Really? You think Yoannis Cespedes would have been a good investment? No. Jed Lowry? No. Jed Lowry's done. He can't even get on the field. Cespedes can't, they guys, these guys can't even get on the field. I mean, how many guys from 2012, 13, and 14, who you guys all wanted to sign. How many of you you want Jeff Samarja back? You want John Lester back? Who are these guys? The only guy you could give me an argument would be Donaldson. But then I would say to you, who would you rather have at third base right now, Josh Donaldson or Matt Chapman? And I guarantee you, you would all say Matt Chapman, as Donaldson has gotten older, and Donaldson hasn't been able to stay healthy the, the past couple of years. So, I I made that running joke that you should just sell A's jerseys and have Velcro on the back, and then you can switch all the names. But you guys all want to sign, guys. I, I I don't know how many of these guys really do. I mean, Marcus Simeon did not have a good year last year. I don't want to take anything away from him. Once again, I think he's a great person. I wish him nothing but the best. Marcus Simeon, if you go to his baseball reference page has had one great season. He's had another season where he hit a bunch of home runs. But that's it. So the rest of baseball, the best deal he got was a one-year deal. So it's there, there, there was 30 teams out there and the best thing he was offered was a one-year deal. So the whole Susan article about getting 80 to 100 million, There's 30 front offices and no one was even looking at anything like that for him. I wish him nothing but the best. But if Marcus Simeon goes out this coming year and hits 260 with 14 home runs, you know, I'm not going to be shocked. I hope he goes for the Blue Jays. I hope he hits 300, hits 30 bombs, has a great year. We'll always root for Marcus Simeon, the person. But I'm just used to this, and I don't know why you guys aren't. Like, you get so enraged that, oh, they didn't sign. Who can, they go to the playoffs every year, man. Look how many times your team has been in the postseason. They have a philosophy. They have a way. The Rays do the same thing. Are you going to say the Rays aren't successful? The Rays, have, they have it worse than we do. Their stadium's horrible. But they keep going to the post. They are in the World Series last year. And all of a sudden, Charlie Morton's gone. Blake Snell's gone. Look at all the guys that they've got. Here's a great example. The Rays went all in for one player, Cody. And all you fans out there listening, who was the one guy they went all in on? Evan Longoria. Evan Longoria. How did that work out?
6: He plays third base across the bay.
5: How's he doing? How's Evan Longoria aged?
6: He's not the same as he was in Tampa Bay, I'll say that. He's not the same pitcher. So many of these contracts in what we can call
5: post-steroid era, they don't work out. See, what happened was, this is what happened in baseball. You had a bunch of guys on PEDs, so they aged well. I'll never forget Tony Gwynn talking about this. It was the one thing that I didn't know about PEDs. So we think of PEDs, it makes you stronger, you recover faster, all that kind of stuff is true. But you know what it also does? And really, what this does for baseball players it improves your eyesight. I'll never talk. I'll never forget talking to FP Santangelo. That I think FP's last year was with the A's. Now, of course, broadcaster with the Nationals, Bay Area guy. FP Santangelo said when he hit like 33, he couldn't he couldn't see the spin on the ball anymore. See, we all know as we get older, we don't age great. You start to lose your eyesight. You start to lose, you know, some coordination, some strength. You 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 get to a certain point. You're not making testosterone anymore in your body. Like, but what these guys did was a bunch of them were on the juice and on PEDs. So at 35, they're still hitting 40 bombs. They could be 38 years old, and Barry Bonds is still hitting home runs. But now with all the testing. We're seeing what reality really is. You start to lose your legs. You lose. I mean, look at Albert Pujols. He's a shell of himself. You don't think the St. Louis Cardinals, every single time they think about Albert Pujols, say, "Thank God that we didn't sign that guy to that contract," that he went to Anaheim and he limps around and uh, he drove in a hundred runs. Well, he's got a bazillion guys on on in front of him. Would you want to have that content? Kind of, I mean, you can go over the years of Albert Pujols, and no offense to Albert Pujols, I mean, he got his money, and good for him. But Albert Pujols, this is a great example of, of so since he so like the last couple of years since 2016, he's made 25 million a year, then 26, then 27, 28. 20 last year. They're paying him 30 million this year. For what? Just so you can say you have Albert Pujols on the roster. I mean, what 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 is he going to? This this gets gets back to my oh, we don't sign our players long term. Like, you really want that? You really want a guy like Albert Pujols at this age, limping around, paying him 30 million dollars? He hit 224 last year with six home runs. He had an OPS of 665. He's below average, and you're paying him 30 million in name only. Is that smart? Sorry, A's fans. Billy Bean's not going to do that because it's not smart. Now, when Albert Pujols was a St. Louis Cardinal in his 20s, he was one of the greatest players of all time. Albert Pujols, now at forty years old, making thirty million dollars a year, is a two twenty four hitter with no power and can barely move. You got to you got to do what's best for winning. I mean, I hope this makes sense. And I would say this no matter what team I worked for. Look at the New York Yankees when they got old. Brian Cashman knew, uh uh-oh, I got old Teixeira, I got old A-Rod, I got old Jeter. I can't move Jeter because he's the franchise, but let's face it. Tell me, Cody, the analytics. Was Derek Jeter a good shortstop at the end of his career?
6: I'd lean towards no, probably not. Okay. See, you fall in
5: love with a guy, great player, Hall of Famer, but you fall in love with these guys and you sign them long-term and you sign them as they get older, it doesn't work out. So what would you rather do? Would you rather have a bunch of old expensive guys or would you rather have young guys and make the playoffs? What would you rather have? Because right now, if you would have signed Jed Lowry, if you would have signed Josh Donaldson, if you would have signed Yohannes Cespedes and you have money tied to these guys right now, it'd be a disaster. True or false, it'd be a disaster.
6: Uh, true, and there's two teams in baseball that are still reeling from contracts over the last couple, you know, let's say the last decade or so. Uh, enter the Philadelphia Phillies, who are still trying to figure out getting back to the playoff for the first time since 2011. Remember when they had Rollins and Utley and Howard and oh. – just and-
5: bad money after bad money on old guys,
6: and then you have the Giants as well: Buster Posey, yeah. Brandon Crawford, Brandon Belt, Jeff Samarja, Johnny Cueto—all guys that are making a lot of money that aren't really producing anymore. Uh, except we don't know what Buster Posey's going to look like this year because he didn't—he sat out last year. But every other guy really not producing that much for the money they're making, and they can't wait. Uh, Giants fans can't wait. And probably Farhan, too, probably can't wait to get that money off the books so they can officially start over and have their own players in there. So those
5: yeah, are don't the two you like,
6: teams. That... It's a great question to fans. Don't you like winning?
5: But for some reason, you guys still want to be in this 1990s model. Remember when, like, the Orioles, you know, you got old Cal Ripken Jr. and they're signing Paul Merrow and they're signing Bobby Bonilla. It's like old and expensive does not work. It doesn't work in baseball. It doesn't work in football. It doesn't work in the NBA and it doesn't work in hockey. If guys are not on PEDs, they're going to age and you don't get better as you age. I don't care if your pay, well, I don't care what your payroll is. You want to have the majority of your guys in a certain age range and it's not 32 and up. And right now, the A's got a bunch of guys like that. I mean, think of, think of the starters in that. You want Tommy Malone back? Jared Parker, for God's sakes, one of the horrific stories, you know, with his elbow. We talked to him. He's in Nashville uh, working with young pitchers and helping guys stay healthy. I mean, just go through all the different guys. Kurt Suzuki? I mean, Sean Doolittle, our, our boy, do. He doesn't even have a job. It's February.
6: Uh, just signed with the Reds yesterday. Oh, did he? That finally went down. One year. It's like one year, one point five million. I think it was. I think I have it written down. Uh, Doolittle got, yeah, one point five million with the for the uh Doolittle for the Reds. So,
5: I mean, how many? How many of these guys, uh, Kalahue, You want him back? I mean, how many of the guys? Like, so that's why I don't understand. It's like, oh, we don't sign our guys. Well, a lot of them. Thank God you didn't sign them. So I'm saying, who who was the? I mean, you could even look. Barry Zito? Mark Mulder? Mark, Mark Mulder didn't do a whole heck. I mean, the only guy. I mean, Tim Hudson went on to have a pretty good career. He had the Tommy John, but he had, he had good years in Atlanta. But Mulder was basically, Mulder didn't have much left after he left the A's, and we all know what happened with, with, with Barry in San Francisco. I mean how what was I mean think about think about Tejada and Giambi. So it's like it's like it's guys leave but they don't live up to some of these contracts that they end up getting. So it's better not to be strapped in these contracts. It, it's it's an ongoing I'm just I'm just used to it. When you've been around this for so long,
6: you're just used to it. And you mentioned the Rays, by the way, um, earlier today. John Heyman had a tweet that the Rays are uh, the surprise or surprise team in on Marcelo Zuna because now that we don't know what's going on with the if there's going to be universal DH or not this upcoming season, the Rays are looking at it because Nelson Cruz just resigned with the Twins yesterday for one year, thirteen million, and the Rays need a power bat in Zuna. And I it pains me to say this, and I brought it up to you yesterday, and you got a good laugh out of it, and so did I. The worst trade in the history, of the Pirates franchise, has come full circle now. As Chris Archer is now back with the Rays after uh, they traded all those guys to the Rays. So literally, the Pirates gave up everything, and the Rays got all the guys back. So Archer is now back with the Rays to try to come back from a terrible injury as well—the same injury that Matt Matt Harvey had, the thoracic outlet syndrome. So it's uh, but if they get Ozuna, man, that's a that's a pretty good lineup they got going there in Tampa Bay. Are you gonna be shocked if Archer goes? back to the Rays and has success? Not at all. Not at all. I would not be surprised. Not,
7: like, not at all. Ken yeah, Rus- it's
6: a- I would say Ken Russell had to tweet, and I said, will the Pirates trade for him again if he has a good year? But I think he's going to bounce back down there for sure. How about this? A's fans
5: love the book Moneyball. A's fans love the movie Moneyball. They loved the attention. But A's fans, I don't think, really like Moneyball the way the teams run. They like the book because of the attention. They like the movie because the attention. But they don't they don't like I mean, that's this has been going on for a long time, right? The way they handle the players and the way Billy Bean and David Force operate. These guys have been around for over 20 years. This is what they do. And they've been highly successful. So you
6: like the book, but I don't think you like the (laughs) day-to-day. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does, because, I mean, you're right. You look at it, you know, essentially the premise of the movie was replacing guys using, you know, um, hidden talent, or not hidden talent, but more untapped resources and analytics, and it took three guys to replace Giambi. But, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people maybe don't like – they love the movie, uh, as we do, and the book is very good, too. I'm more of the book guy than the movie, but – uh, but I agree with what you said. Yes, I think people love the love the attention it brought, but they don't. They just don't like that the players aren't being kept like they should. And I agree with you with everyone you said, because you asked me and I said Donaldson would, would have been a guy. And if the, you're looking at current guys, I said Listella because of his ability to put the battle, you know, put the uh, bad head on the ball and put the ball in play. But other because of the deal reportedly he signed. But other than that, like yeah, you I agree with you. I don't. I mean, Cespedes his career. I mean, how many times did he get traded after he left Oakland? I mean, he he quit on his team halfway through the season or, like, what, a couple weeks into the season last year. Now, I get it he opted out for COVID-19, but a lot of people think he quit, and he's only with the Mets. He's not even signed with anyone. So uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good one to bring up. All right. How many times did Jason Giambi
5: hit 30 or more home runs after he left the A's? Three.
6: That's just a guess. Once. Once. Was it the very first year in New York? Very first year in New York, (laughs) he had
5: 34 home runs. And then after that, 25, 9, 14, 25, 8. Remember, he's making well over $100 And he didn't add up to his contract. If you ask Yankee fans, they'll tell you. He didn't add up to his contract. I mean, think about that. Only one more time in his career, and it was the very next year at 31. After that, never hit 30 home runs again. And you want to go games played? So he leaves the A's, plays in 155-156 the first two years in New York. 155-156. Would never play in 140 games after that. See, people don't think about this stuff. You know what I mean? They just don't think about it. Giambi, at the age of 33, played in 80 games. A Few years later, at 36, he played 83. I mean, he's back in he's back in Oakland in 2009. If you remember. And then all of a sudden, by the time he's 38, 39, he actually played till he was 43. He had those last couple of years in Colorado and Cleveland where he was just a great leader. And they talk about how Giambi would be a terrific manager. But I don't think a whole lot of people, Cody, really go back and look. You're like, oh, he lose all our players. You think Giambi lived up to his contract?
6: He didn't. And, you know, I'm working on that Barry Zito project, and I, I finished writing the script yesterday for it, and you go up to through 2006. Zito was very good for the A's, and then you look at his career in San Francisco, and it was until 2012, in the uh, NLCS and the World Series Game One, uh, where Zito kind of had his redemption. And then in 2013, he was he struggled again, and he was out of baseball for a year. Before Billy and the A's brought him back for one last run, when he had his you know he had that final start at the Coliseum against Tim Hudson. Yeah, you uh you, he signed at the time the largest contract in, in the history of baseball for a starting pitcher. And he, I mean, he chronicles that in his book. Like he, he went for the fame and fortune and, and it didn't work out. Let, let, let's go Mark Mulder. And I know Ace
5: fans. I'm sure this is making you mad, but I'm just telling you, I trust him, Billy Bean and David Forrest. I trust the process. I look at all the years they make the postseason. Look at Mulder Mulder's last year in Oakland. He was 17 and eight. After that. How many times did he win at least 10 games in a season? Do you know?
6: Once, I think. I think he did it once with St. Louis. Once.
5: He went 16-8, and eight, and then his career was done. He was 6-7, and 0-3, oh and, and then by the time he was 30, he had one start, pitched in three games, no decisions, and had a 10.80 ERA. Mark Mulder was essentially done one year after leaving Oakland. Sad because he was such a great talent, and now he's one of the kings of
6: celebrity golf. Though that's true. Fact, he is an <laughs> ex- extremely good golfer. <laughs> he's legit too. Like you know, he's he's won Tahoe a couple
5: times. So I just wanted to bring that up today because I, I had some people come down my road on Twitter, which is fine. I'm a big boy. I can take it and they you know want me to rip the process but i'm like i'm not going to rip the process cuz the process works i mean you've been in the playoffs three straight years you're in the playoffs 12 13 14 i mean the process works i mean look at the look at the rays the process works and i can mention again look at the one guy they went all in on well The other guy they would have gone all in on and how horrible that was would have been Carl Crawford.
6: That is, oh boy.
5: (laughs) Carl Crawford goes to Boston, signs the hundred and something million dollar deal. They couldn't run him out of town fast enough. I bet you, Cody, and maybe while you're uh, at your winery next to your luxury apartment uh, doing Wine Wednesday. Could look up all the hundred million dollar contracts that have been signed and how many of them end up being good deals. How many guys even stayed with their team? They said, like, Kevin Brown was like the first big one, right? Kevin Brown signed for like 110 or 115 million with the Dodgers. Yeah, didn't go so hot. I mean, I bet if you look up in the history of baseball, that most of these $100 million contracts do not end well. And now joining us is the president of your Oakland Athletics, Dave Cavill. Dave, I got to tell you, I miss you. I haven't seen you in like over a year. It's been too long, man. We got to get together socially
0: distanced with masks just to see if we're uh, both in this uh, universe. So no, we got to get that going.
5: Yeah. Yeah. It's just great. Like my brother, I finally got to see him. I hadn't seen him in a year, but yeah, I can't wait to, to, to get back. And obviously the news today um, is, you know, this is so much bigger than baseball Uh, to partner with the white house, to partner with governor Newsom and to know that we're going to help save a lot of lives. What has this process been like for you and the organization?
0: Well, I mean, obviously, we're just so proud that we were able to pull this off and work with, you know, obviously the the federal government, the Biden-Harris administration, Governor Newsom, uh, the local JPA, and everyone together to make this the first federal vaccine site in the United States, and to do that in East Oakland uh, at the Coliseum where people have been coming for over 50 years uh, to watch baseball and other sports, but now they can come here and have another memorable and historic moment where they get their COVID-19 uh, vaccine is it, it, just truly historic, and, and we're happy to be a, a central part of it.
7: Well,
5: I can tell you, you know, A's fans are the best in baseball, and we say it all the time because they truly they care about each other and they love each other. And we've had A's fans, Dave, reach out and say, how can we help? I mean, do you, do you, do you, do you need volunteers? I mean, what, what, what can our fan base do to help you? Well, I mean, I think right now I don't have a specific answer if if FEMA, who is going to be
0: running this, um, is going to need assistance. But I've been working with Tammy, who is the local um, liaison for FEMA. um, And if if that's needed, we will get the word out to our fans, to the community to come out to participate. Um, But I think because this is a federally backed effort um, with federal doses of vaccine that are above the normal supply that our county or our region gets so it's like extra vaccine for the bay area and for the east bay Um, that is just a huge development and one that hopefully will speed up everyone getting those shots and so i would just encourage people to you know you you can sign up on this my turn app which is the state's website that's in a pilot right now i think it goes fully live in a day or two the site will be up and running starting on the 16th of february so before you know it And we can start doing up to 6,000 vaccinations a day, which is is a pretty big number. and We want to grow from there.
5: Dave, that number blew me away. I was like, I mean, 6,000 cars, people, shots. It's amazing. Did it blow you away? It blew me away when when I saw your email.
0: Well, you know, one thing that we've been heavily involved with, you know, for the last couple months since the vaccine was approved, like in December is talking to the federal officials like Congressman Swalwell, who's here in the East Bay, um, Barbara Lee, who's our congresswoman, and then also the governor's office to say, hey, you know, we have a lot of expertise in moving a lot of people and um, doing it efficiently and safely. And, you know, the traditional healthcare care um, routes, whether it's a clinic or whatever, normally that's totally fine. But when you have thousands of people and you want to move them around logistically, a site like the Coliseum, with the experience that we have, with the county, you know, this is the type of place that could really move the needle. And people are used to coming here and they feel safe coming here. You can come via BART, you can drive. And so all those things is why we were lobbying so heavily starting in December to make this a federal site. And then with the changeover in the administration and the little more active role that the Biden administration and Harris administration have taken, you know, we were able to get this, you know, uh, to an announcement within a couple weeks, which has really been a whirlwind the last two weeks, you could probably
5: imagine. So I think about like your experiences, what what you've done in Washington, what you've done in Sacramento, trying to get us our new ballpark. How much did those experiences help with making this happen? Well, certainly
0: the relationships that, you know, I personally have and that the team has, you know, in Sacramento with the governor's office, with Gavin, with, you know, federal authorities, the fact that Kamala Harris is from this area, you know, all those things, um, were important in terms of getting the word out. And, you know, I, and I will say a special shout out to uh, Congressman Swalwell, who, you know, together we went to the All-Star Game together in D.C. a couple years ago. You know, he really played a leadership role in making sure that this was a priority at the federal level. Um, and that's where really this thing kicked up another notch, because we were working initially on a plan to just have a county-related vaccination center, but, you know, the county doesn't have any additional doses. And, you know, it just felt like a waste to set up the whole Coliseum and do 200 doses a day. And so we were able to elevate this and be kind of a prime mover and agitate to ensure that we could move quicker, which, which is going to get us back to normal. Provide some people some hope, you know, hopefully, you know, help everyone's health and welfare and and in the end, get us back into that Coliseum with fans this season, because that's our goal.
5: Chris. Yeah. Yeah. As much as we love the uh, cardboard cutouts and, and you sitting with the cardboard cutouts during last season, I mean, uh, I'm we, done with that. I want real people. They're, they're just not talking. you know, I like to talk to people. They're not talking
0: enough. It just doesn't work for me.
5: <laughs> I want my treehouse house back. I want to get back to the ballpark.
0: Exactly. We, we got to get back in there. You know, I, I, you know, uh, I was here today. I walked around the Coliseum and it's just, it's, it's lonely being here without any fans, the energy and the fact that no one's here is just it's just a weird feeling. And to think the last time we had fans here was the twenty nineteen playoff game where we had fifty five thousand against the race. So it's been a long time. And it's it's time, obviously safely and in an effective manner, to bring people back, and we're gonna do everything we can to advance this vaccine effort and the public health effort so so we can do that.
5: You know, we all love the game and it's why we work in it and I, I just I, I wish that the players union and uh, New York will just get along a little bit more and hopefully they'll be able to figure something out. But the fact that we got the announcement, we got baseball, we're starting spring training. Just, just how great news is that, that we're going to get this thing going in 2021?
0: Well, I mean, I think it's important that we are going to be playing baseball and that, um, you know, we are going to have a, a safe way to do that with our players. And we're going to be playing in front of fans at some point, both in Arizona and then here in, in Oakland if everything goes well. And, you know, that's obviously a big difference from last year where we played the 60 games really with no one. So I think we're headed in the right direction. And, you know, obviously there's been um, some challenges with some of the negotiations, but at the end of the day, we're ready to get started. And myself and David Forrest and Billy Bean and Bob Melvin and the whole group is, you know, putting the, the pieces together to ensure that we can be on the field on the 17th of February. I'm going to be going down um, to Arizona late next week and just ensuring that we're ready to go, that, that the system is set up, the protocols which are being finalized with the players are in place, and that everyone um, involved in the effort can feel safe, and that we can also ensure that our fans can first watch us on TV and then you know, hopefully see us in person.
5: Yeah, and, and let's not forget, we're trying to go to the playoffs for the fourth straight year. This is still a good young core with a lot of talent.
0: We have a great young team. We're excited about where we are. You know, we know that, you know, there was disappointment in losing Marcus Simeon, who was really was the captain of this team. And, you know, I think that is something that, you know, we want to deal with head on to acknowledge that 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 is a reality of this season. But by the same token, we have a lot of great young players and we have people coming back who'd been injured and they're going to be healthy. And I feel that we can compete at a high level. And with Bob Melvin and with the you know moves that Billy and David make every year to ensure the team is the best possible team. Um, I'm optimistic for the 2021 season.
5: You know, I think of all the work that you've done to try and get a new ballpark and all the hurdles you've gotten over and all the progress and then COVID hits and it changes everything because, let's face it, you can't meet people. You can't do meetings. You can't do any of that. And this continues to go on. So I I know we haven't talked in a while. So how has it been working on this new ballpark through COVID-19?
0: Well, I think it's important to understand it. as people who watch the press conference today with the governor and the mayor, you know, a lot of our effort that normally would go towards lobbying and working with the politicians and elected officials on getting the stadium approved. That energy has gone towards public health and ensuring that our community is safe and healthy and opening things like the vaccine center that we're having here at the Coliseum. And so, you know, we've prioritized that. Over the last year, that doesn't mean that we haven't still been working on the new ballpark. I know people wanna see the progress faster, but you know we're in a crisis situation with, with the pandemic and we felt strongly that that was a higher priority. But now as that starts to abate, you know we are gonna get this draft environmental report out and we're gonna do everything we can to get to a vote this year of the city council. We have to know if our project will be approved. We have a plan that works um, for us that we've articulated to the city financially. We just need to get this process finished and to the city council and to a vote this year um, so we can really identify exactly when we can start and open open the building so that's going to be the focus and there's a lot of energy around that right now and hopefully very shortly we'll be releasing that that draft there was a positive lawsuit that had been uh, a a order in the lawsuit that broke our way in the last week so that's a really positive development chris and that that allows us to kind of move forward quicker than we thought. So there's some good things happening, maybe not as fast as people want, um, but we're going to continue to push to make this happen.
5: You know, I think about, you know, when you came in and developed a great relationship with the mayor and Oakland and also Alameda County, just what you're now going to be doing all the vaccinations. I mean, just, just, just talk about how your relationship with the leaders has been so good and so positive. Well, I mean, I think we have a shared
0: vision that we're trying to do something great for, for this community. And that goes beyond a ballpark and the games. It goes into public health. It goes into community engagement. Um, it goes into things like systematic racism and being involved in the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, All the different things that we've done or, or improving you know, economic outcomes or workforce development, all the things we're doing um, are really important in terms of our stature here in the community. And so, you know, it's more than a baseball team. It's more than a ballpark. And I think we've seen that. Um, And I think what the elected officials have seen is the value of having a pro sports team. We're the only team left. You know, there's no Warriors here. There's no Raiders here. You know, we're the ones who had to call the federal government, work with the state, and figure out how to do this and get our operations team and partner with everyone. Like, if you don't have any of those entities, some of these things don't happen. And that's, I think, been important for them to see. And I think it'll really be positive for the continued progress uh, here in Oakland in the near term and in the future.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to save lives, and it's it's a really, really big deal. Congratulations on getting it done, and I think everybody is going to really appreciate your effort and the franchise's effort, and like, like, like I said, uh, we miss you. We want to see you, so hopefully, I don't know if it's in spring training or it's at the Coliseum, but uh, I just can't wait for baseball to be back and uh, start talking about baseball and have a good time with the uh, 2021 Oakland A's
0: let's make it happen. That's considered a date. It's going to happen. We're going to see each other in person before you know it. And uh, we're going to be able to really just focus on baseball, um, which is really the core thing and something that I think at times, you know, we've, we've lost sight of, and we just need to get
5: back to that and really focus on that in
0: a positive way.
5: Well, we love how you battle for us, A's fans. We truly appreciate it. Be well, be safe. and Hopefully we'll talk soon. Take care my friend. The president of your Oakland Athletics, Dave Cavill, joining us here on A's Cast Live. And when, you know, we got the email earlier today. I mean, you think about that, Cody. And obviously, you know, this is kind of near and dear to your heart because of your fiancé, who's a nurse. I mean, to vaccinate 6,000 people a day, you think about all the cars, the lines, everything. But you, you kind of, you think away. You think about how the Coliseum being an old school uh, facility, you know, because a lot of the new facilities around the country, I can tell you traveling with the A's and traveling with the Raiders, they don't have parking lots. Like, parking lots are gone. Like, you go to most of these ballparks or most of these stadiums or most of these arenas around the country, there's no parking lots. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 you know, they, it's weird where everybody parks like but you go to like Detroit there's no parking lot you got the Lions are playing across the street you got Comerica there's I, I don't know where they park right So the fact that we have the old school facility I mean that is huge to be able to do 6000 a day
6: If you do the numbers and I did it already in my head that's uh that's 42,000 people it could be a week times 4 be 168,000 people a month you can get vaccinated in the state of California, it's just the Coliseum alone. Now, remember, you got the site that's going to be running down in L.A. too at Cal State Los Angeles. So you're getting 168,000 people, you know, that's approximately, if you do 6,000 a day a month, that's huge. And you can have people back at the ballpark. businesses opening. Like we saw, what was it, the other day, Great America announced they're planning on opening in May, like like towards the end of May. You know, Great America is right down the street from us, and that's a huge amusement park And you know, we're hoping they open. We're able to see fans back in the in the stands here for baseball. And the Sharks can have fans at the SAP Center right down the street from me and from you. Uh, this is very positive news, and I'm glad we're able to get it done. And, and I know how hard Dave and the organization has been fighting to get the mass vaccination site at the Coliseum, and I'm glad it, it came through because even with Dina, my fiance, having the vaccine already, you know, it, it's it's great for other people to have the opportunity to get it because I know that people will – there are a lot of people that want to get it uh, and, you know, and put this pandemic behind us.
5: Yeah. I mean, you and I, and probably, you know, quite a few of us, we're going we're, we're gonna to be in this long line, <laughs> and we're, but we got to get it to, you know, hopefully my wife being a teacher is going to get it soon. And hopefully people, you know, who are, you know, 65 or older, 70, 75, um, are going to get it as soon as possible. But yeah, I think that's like the, you know, The A's care about the community, and they're showing that, and they've been showing that. And like Dave Cavill just said, Warriors walked out the door, man. And I know there's people like, ah, but they just went to San Francisco. No, they took their tax dollars. They took the jobs. they, 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 They went to San Francisco. Raiders walked out, same deal, to Vegas. There's one team left in Oakland. It's the Oakland A's. And obviously what they're doing right now is to help save lives. I mean, baseball, obviously we think baseball is so important. We think every Super Bowl is important and all of that's important. But right now what they're trying to do is help save lives. And if we can use the Coliseum to do that, that's awesome. And then you said what, Cal State L.A.? I is doing it down in Los Angeles.
6: Yeah, and then that's on top of, you know, Dodger Stadium having a vaccination. So they're 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 getting it done, but we're the first federally set up one through yeah. FEMA and stuff. So, so that's really that's really cool that they, you know, Dave's been working with Governor Newsom and President Biden and Vice President uh Harris on this. So it's a big it's a big for it's a big day for, for the for our organization and, and you know, Alameda County. So I'm looking forward to this. And February sixteenth is when they plan to start doing uh 6,000 vaccinations a day, that's 168,000 a month, like I mentioned earlier. So that's, that's a good first step.
5: I mean, you think of the humanity that's in California. You think of how many people live in the Bay Area, and then you go down and you think how many people live in Southern California as Los Angeles is the second um, largest city that we have. A lot of people don't know this, but San Bernardino is the biggest county in California. San Diego is what, the the eighth largest city? You think the amount of people that they need to vaccinate in Southern California and
6: Northern California?
5: I mean, look where we live. We live in San Jose. We're, what, the 10th largest city in the country?
6: 10th largest in the country, third largest in the state.
5: (laughs) Yeah, we got a lot of people in Santa Clara County, man. A lot of people. I don't think, you know, because... A lot of people in the Bay Area, because I've, you know, I've lived here my entire adult life. I've been here since, what, I was 18. So, but I've always worked in San Francisco and Oakland, right? And there's like a lot of people who live north of us, Cody, that they don't really, you know, San Jose. San Jose, when I got here, still had some orchards. (laughs) They didn't, but they don't realize, yeah, Santa Clara County goes all the way down to Morgan Hill, Gilroy. We got a lot we have a lot of people who live in Santa Clara County. There's a lot of people you need to get vaccinated. So I mean anything you can do to help, right? I mean, that's what we're all shooting for. And we were so happy that your fiance got it. Uh, hopefully my wife will get it soon and we'll get the kids back to
6: school. And
5: um, you know, you, guys like you and I can wait.
6: Yeah, I, I like I've said all from all along, I'd rather people that are healthcare. You know, healthcare totally. workers and school teachers like your wife and, and others, and even even kids that are going to school, like that want to go back to, like they're trying to get in high school. Like, they I, need it more than we do. I don't think they're getting it. Uh,
5: well, I don't think kids are going to get it. Yeah, I think it's just going to be adults. I, but I, once again, I don't want to. Yeah, it, we're, not, we're not trying to play doctor here on yeah. A's Cast Live. Yeah, we're just, <laughs> we're just we're just we're just happy that the organization. You know, when you start talking about 6,000 people a day, you're talking 6,000 cars coming in, which normally, you know, wouldn't seem a lot at the Coliseum because you can fit. I can't even imagine how many cars you can fit in that lot for like a Raider game. When the Raiders would be sold out, that's a lot of cars. But the fact that you're going to have this line of cars coming in and out of the Coliseum every single day is truly going to be a beautiful sight. It really, really is, and FEMA and healthcare people taking care of uh, the people who are going to be able to get the vaccine. It's going to be special.
6: Yeah, and I'm looking at something that uh, that someone passed along to me. Uh, so education and childcare workers are supposed to be in the tier they are going to get it. So your wife should get it. Um, yeah, should be next in line to get it. So that's good. Talk show hosts are not in line right now. Low, lower Perfect. level, lower level employees like myself, no, they're not on there. <laughs> uh, lower level employees are not considered essential. I, I don't go and I don't leave the house. I, when I leave the house, I go next door to pick up wine. So essentially, that's my uh, that's my trek. So um, I, I'm okay, completely okay with waiting. There's much, there's many more important people that deserve this vaccine than I do right now, and I, I'm, I'm oh. glad that we're going to start getting it. I was joking the other day, so I've been a
5: commuter my entire career my last car i had 300,000 miles on it so and i highly i had an infinity i highly recommend it problem wasn't the engine the problem was the car around the engine fell apart so then i i got a lexus and i was planning on putting a ton of miles on this on this car and I have the only place I go. The only place I go, I go to the golf course. Which golf has not been COVID nineteen like everybody's got their own cart. Everybody stays away from me. I mean, it's been very you know when you're when you're around putting green, everybody's got mask on. But you know, it's been very COVID you know safe. Uh, I either go to like the golf course, Costco, Lenardi's, Zanatos and ride 8. i mean this is like the only place i go i I can't go
6: anywhere else uh, I, as you know i bought a new car a few months ago uh i i essentially you're, you're welcome i uh, you helped me out i essentially traded in my old car which is the same year as the car i just bought so it's two years old and i was just literally talking to a friend about it last night he was like yeah you know uh you know i, I have to i don't drive as so much more i'm like dude i don't go anywhere at all i said i bought a new car i drive it once a week, so essentially four times a month, and I'm paying all this money. I'm like, I, it doesn't go anywhere. He goes, Yeah, but it, it's still a cool car, though. I'm like, I mean, I guess that's the way to look at it. But yeah, I don't go anywhere. Like, I'm, I told, I told my insurance that I'm, I'm only going about 3,000 miles a year, and that's, that's not even accurate because I drive less than that. Well, I, I, I'm going to say this.
5: When the boys come back from, from, from Arizona, we at least got to be able to sit up at Mount Davis, you and me. I've never been up. To Mount Davis before I've never been at like like why would I ever go up there I've never been up there but I would go sit you could have one section I could have another section and we'll sit up in Mount Davis to watch games
6: so when the wild card game was here in 2019 against the Rays uh, that's where I wanted to sit I that's when we got eligibility to look for tickets I that's the first place I looked at. I was like I want to sit up there I know it's a truck to get up there I don't care I want to sit up there uh, those seats were gone so I, you know, I had a, I sat down in the lower level, which you know, great. But I want, I actually was one of the people who said, you know what, I want to sit up high. I want to see what it's like to sit in Mount Davis because I never did it for a Raider game. So, yeah, I've never been up there. Me either. So that's why I want to do it. I don't even, I don't even know how to get up there. <laughs> so,
5: now our old radio station had a luxury box. And we've been to the luxury box that is below the top stands, but I've never been up to the top stands. I mean, I do every game from the treehouse, so it sits above me, but I've never, yeah, I've, I, you're right. I don't even know how to get up there. It'd be like the one play, like I can get anywhere. Cause I've worked, you know, doing warriors and doing A's and Raiders as probably like Greg Papa and myself are the only guys to cover all three. Um, I mean, I can get all, I can, I, underneath, I can get anywhere. The only place I don't know how to really
6: deal with is uh, up top, Mount Davis. How do we, how do we talk to Dave Cavill about doing Ace Cast Live from Mount Davis? Um, I'm sure we can find an, e- an Ethernet cord to run all the way down to connect us so we have good internet. I'm sure we I'm can find going. some power.
5: No, I, that ain't going to happen.
6: I just want my tree
5: house back. I miss my treehouse. I miss seeing all you fans at the treehouse. It's been far too long. A lot of people don't, if you don't know, like I see the people come and say hello to me every game. And even if I'm talking, we'll just wave or fist pump or, you know, it's, it's, I I, I miss you guys. I miss the fans. I miss seeing the joy that you have when you come to the ballpark. I mean, the treehouse, people love the treehouse. I'm 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 ready to get back to that, and I'm ready for baseball. I'm ready for pitchers and catchers. You know, it's always at this time of the year, right, where Super Bowl is going to end, and then it's time for baseball. You know, we still got the NBA. You know, golf's still coming here to Pebble Beach, and we got the Sharks. And but once once. For us baseball people, once the Super Bowl is over, now it's, okay, let's let's start talking. We're, we're, we're ready to rock. And I'm excited about that. Because remember, we went months. They shut down spring training. They then had to bring the guys up for summer camp. We had the alternate site, but we went months without baseball. You realize we had 60 games. I I know you all know that, but we just had 60 games. That was it. It's been a long time since we had a full season. It's been a long time since we've seen each other. I mean, think about that. Dave Cavill's the president of our organization, and we haven't seen him in over a year. When normally you see him every day at the ballpark. I haven't seen Melvin. I haven't seen Bean. Haven't... Last time we saw Melvin, Bean, and David Forrest was spring training. We haven't seen them since. I mean, these are people that we've worked with for a long time. I mean, isn't that
6: crazy? You mentioned Dave Renetti, who runs our stadium. I haven't seen Renetti in forever. Probably the wild card game for me in 2019 is the last time I saw Renetti. Yeah, that was the last time we were at the Coliseum. Was the wild card game? I think that might have been the last time I saw Fosse too. To be honest, we didn't... Fosse and in... oh no, we saw them down in Vegas. Oh in yeah, oh year. yeah, that's right, that's right. Okay, I forgot. I forgot we the the weekend we spent in Vegas. Yeah, I, there's a reason why you forgot. Yeah, Top Golf did me in. <laughs> <laughs>
5: there's there, there's a reason why you don't remember Vegas. That was a, that was a, th- th- that was me coming off a vacation where I went to DC, Philly, and New York with the kids. Come home for 2 days and then I'm Vegas to Arizona. Like I was so done at the end of that trip. <laughs> I was just toast. Yeah, that was the last time last time we actually saw a baseball hit a bat was last spring training.
6: I almost said that was the last time I traveled anywhere, but that's not true. I went to Pennsylvania in September, but that's, that's... the last time I've been on a flight was uh, was coming home from spring training. Yeah, e- even when I flew to Pittsburgh, it, it was pretty eerie, because like, the flight wasn't full, and you know they left the middle seat open, and usually you know you're packed in there like sardines flying across the country. But this time it was pretty open, and you know it was comfortable. And but I haven't flown since and there's nowhere to go. So, well, I'll tell you this, Jared Diamond from the
5: Wall Street Journal. Is going to join us next. And he's got a really good perspective on baseball and recently sat down with Fernando Tatis Jr. We've got some young kids who have all the talent in the world, but more importantly, they've got personality. We have some new faces of the game that are coming up. Mike Trout's the best player. He's just not. And there's nothing wrong with Mike Trout being the best player and not having a big personality. Mike Trout doesn't want to do a ton of commercials. Mike Trout, he just wants to play baseball. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think Mookie Betts is a big personality. And they're and Christian Yelich. I mean, if you went through, like, who are the best players? You know, Juan Soto. None of these guys are oozing personality. You know, one guy that continues to do it, and you see how well he was for his sport, is a guy like Peyton Manning. I mean, no, no one made more money than Peyton Manning doing endorsements. Peyton Manning, I mean, obviously not the quarterback Tom Brady is, but Peyton Manning has been the face of football for a long time. Fernando
6: Tatis Jr. Could he be that guy, Cody? I think so. I think he has a personality and he's going to be the cover boy for MLB.com or MLB, the show 21. So he's on the cover for the new video game. Something Mike Trump's never done. I was so impressed when we played the Padres
5: and Mark Canna was great. Remember that when he was mic'd up talking about food and everything. And I like DH and all you got to do is hit. I mean, Canna was great, but. Tatis was mic'd up at shortstop, and that was, like, really the first time, you know, in, in a non-classic interview scenario where you, where you saw that, hey, this kid's got a really big personality. He's funny. He's witty. He, I mean, he's, I, I could see Fernando Tatis being that guy. Derek Jeter was milk toast. They tried to make him the face, but he was just, and you know what? I don't blame him. Um with everything that goes on with being a Yankee and being uh being in New York and can can turn on you pretty quick. Uh but yeah, I think this Tate's kid, and I think we have other kids, we just gotta find we've gotta highlight these guys, Cody, is what we need to do. We need to find and highlight these guys and show these big personalities that are in our game. That makes the fans love these players even more. Coming up next, Jared Diamond. We got a lot to talk about from the Wall Street Journal right here on A's Cast Live.
1: Streaming from the town, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend.
5: Jared Diamond covers the game for the Wall Street
6: Journal. He also has the book Swing Kings. You've read it, right, Cody? I have. It's a very good read. I I suggested to everyone who wants to learn about the home run revolution in baseball. And there seems to be a little more of a different revolution going
5: on now where we're talking about maybe strikeouts is hit, like they say, the tipping point, and maybe a little more contact is going to start getting back in our game. But here is my conversation. We hooked up with Jared earlier today. Jared, hope all is well there in New Jersey and great success with the Wall Street Journal and, of course, your book, Swing Kings.
3: Thank you. Yes, everything's going okay. Doing the best we can here. Uh, Hoping that the the return of baseball soon uh, is a sign of better things to come.
5: Yeah, and and I think uh, you say it best on your Twitter account, the, the, the tweet that you've pinned where you say, hey, uh, if you're missing baseball and you want to scratch that itch, uh, your book is a great read when talking about the art of hitting the baseball.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, you know, the, book, the, the book, it's so funny when the book came out, the pandemic was just starting. And, uh, you know, I think back now, it feels like so long ago, I feel like the, when the book came out, we, I was just so focused on, uh trying to survive in this new normal uh, and sort of overshadowed of the book coming out. So I'm just really glad that people are still talking about it and that it's found an audience in spite of all the insanity that's been going on for the last 10 months.
5: You know, there, there, there there's an evolution of hitting the baseball. I mean, obviously guys want to lift it. Guys want it in the air. Guys want to hit it out of the ballpark. Where do you think the next uh, generation of players. Do you think we'll get back to a point where, yeah, you like hitting home runs, but you also like making a lot more contact?
3: Uh, I, look, I think for as long as the baseball itself is as, let's call it, turbocharged uh, as it currently is, uh, of course batters are going to continue to try to lift. Of course they, they will. Right now, you're very incentivized to try to hit the ball in the air because if you do get the ball in the air, uh, there's a good chance it's going to go pretty far. Uh, so it's going to take some sort of bigger changes, I think, to the game to bring back some of the things that at least some fans miss, some of the small ball. Now, that said, uh, I do believe that we've sort of reached a critical tipping point when it comes to strikeouts, when it comes to balls not being put in play. I do think we're sort of moving toward it starting to slide back uh, a little bit. I think we have coming to realize that there really is a limit to how far the strikeouts don't matter approach is. Uh, and I also think that we might see some bigger changes fundamentally to the game that would incentivize contact. Because I think there is something in the eyes of a lot of fans that is, that is lost uh, when you lose some part of the old style play in the game. So uh, I think it's going to start to come back around. It's never going to go back to the way it was. Those, those days are over. The 70s are gone. They're not coming back but I'm not going to say there's a middle ground, but maybe there's a little bit more that we could pared back a little bit for the good of the game.
5: Yeah. When we had that delay and MLB network, which we see you on all the time, uh, was airing all those classic games. And then we started airing the, uh, 72, 73, 74 world series wins for the A's against the, uh, the reds, the Dodgers and the Mets, um, you know, watching guys choke up, watching the two strike approach, baseball has changed. And then, even after ace games all the time, Jared, I have to tell people they're like, "Why didn't they bunt him Like, you're not going to get a twenty million dollar contract button. That's just not going to happen.
1: <laughs> right? You're not. And look, there's the
3: the evidence just tells us that it's not a good idea. It just it just isn't it's like, and that's a big problem. I think that baseball is facing right now. It's it's a very complicated issue. When people talk about well, how, what are the issues baseball faces, I think sometimes people uh, underestimate or undersell just how complicated this is. And the reason I say that is that baseball now is clearly smarter than ever before. It is more optimized than ever before. It is indisputable that the way the game is being played today is the best way to go about it to score more runs or to give up fewer runs on the pitching side. The problem is, as the game has evolved uh, on that standpoint, it's also been, maybe become less entertaining, less fun. Uh, and look, let's not forget, baseball is an entertainment product first and foremost. If fans do not like the product on the field, it is the responsibility of the stewards of the game to change the game, to ensure that the product on the field is something that people like. In other sports, I've been much more uh, willing to sort of, make rule changes purely for the sake of entertainment and other sports, fortunately for them, like basketball, like football, their sort of analytics revolution have actually in some ways made the game more entertaining. In the NBA now, it's all about 30-foot three-pointers and dunks. In other words, the things people like. And what do they got rid of in the NBA? Like 10-foot bank shots that no one really cares about. The NFL's analytics revolution has led to less kicking, and more long passes, Uh, basically the things people like. Baseball's revolution has led to a lot more strikeouts, a lot more downtime, a lot longer games, things like this. So uh, I do think it's baseball's responsibility at some point to say to itself, what do we want the game to be and how do we sort of put our hands into into the batter to make sure it rises to be what we want it to be? I don't think there's anything wrong with a sport doing that. If I think it's his responsibility to.
5: I am so glad you just said all of that because Jared, I used to do the golden state warriors pre and post game show. And before I went to work exclusively for the A's and I used to say, if you went in a time machine and you went back in time to like the 60s, and you told all the big men that they were going to be irrelevant later on, that there was going to be this three-point line, and that guards and smaller players are going to be more important than seven-footers, as we saw with the Warriors and shooting all the threes. Those guys in the 60s would have told you, you're crazy, that's never going to happen. The way basketball evolved with the three-pointer, I mean, you're dead on. I mean, the way that 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 basketball and football have gotten more entertaining uh, you know, and, and also a problem when you say for baseball is the fact that it seems like every guy that we got coming in on the mound is throwing 100 miles an hour now.
3: Yeah, that, that's a really great point. Uh, that's another thing I think people underestimate uh, when they talk about strikeouts specifically. Everybody wants to immediately go to the hitters and say, why are they swinging for the fences? Uh, what I would point out is what you said. Everybody throws about 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, balls, the breaking balls move in ways that uh, seem to disobey the laws of physics. Uh, the game was not designed for everyone to throw this hard, it's a huge factor. Yeah, there's no
5: doubt about it, and you're right. I mean, some of these balls, like to watch you know, the one year that Blake Trinan had for us to watch the ball sink and he's throwing it 99 miles an hour. It's like, how does he do that? You know, um. You did a piece with Fernando Tatis, and last year the A's and the Padres hooked up, and it was uh, it was a Saturday that they mic'd up Mark Canna. They 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 mic'd up a couple guys, a couple of our guys, a couple of the Padres. But the one thing they did was they mic'd up Fernando Tatis. And you really got to see his personality. I mean, he's funny. Uh, he, I, I, he's he's just twenty two, but he's a great talker. He's got he's got a big personality, and, and he was cracking jokes while playing shortstop at the same time on national television. I mean, I understand now uh, why people could see him truly as the next, I guess, face of the game.
3: Yeah, he's Fernando Tatis Junior. Is everything baseball could dream uh, for. He's obviously supremely talented, Uh, you know, as we look for who is going to be the best player in baseball when the answer is not Mike Trout, uh, which will happen one day. It will. I know it's hard to believe that one day Mike Trout will not be the best player in baseball anymore. Someone's going to have to take up that mantle. And, you know, I see a few guys, three players to me right now that I could see uh, filling that category. But certainly one of them is Fernando Tatis Jr., and what makes him so special is what you said. It's his personality. It's his, it's his willingness to be uh, more than just a baseball player, a guy that really wants to be a star, wants to be a celebrity. And I don't mean that in an egotistical way. It's He wants to do this stuff because it's good for the game. He wants to grow the game. He wants to make baseball look cool. And, look, Mike Trout is an unbelievable baseball player who's probably going to go down as one of the greatest ever to play the game. But Mike Trout isn't cool and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, but he's not cool. He doesn't have any cachet. He doesn't uh, really make baseball seem like something that's worth watching to the younger generation as great as he is because he's boring and he's boring because he's so great. He just has the personality is not Mike Trout's thing. It's not what he's interested in. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. brings it all. So if he continues to perform the way we think he's going to perform with the persona that he has, look, baseball hasn't had a real crossover celebrity, I would say, since Ken Griffey Jr., which is in the 90s, now 2020. Uh, if it's still possible for baseball to have a player like that, and I really hope and believe it is, I think Tatis is as good of a candidate as there is.
5: You know, we know all about Mike Trout, (laughs) having to see him every single. It's just, you know, I I feel kind of bad. You know, it's not his fault. I mean, not everybody's born with a great personality. Not everybody's going to be a a media darling. Uh, But the one thing, you know, we know as A's fans, his greatness. I mean, I mean, Jared, every single time he comes to the plate, it's like, oh, God, here he is again. I mean, it's just he he wears like the the all-time leader for home runs against the A's is Babe Ruth, uh, doing it against the Philadelphia A's. He had like 108. But it's not going to be too long from now because his two guys are tied. It's Palmero and A-Rod have the modern-day record for home runs. But Trout's right on their heels, and he's not even 30 yet.
3: Yeah, look, he is amazing. And I don't want to make it seem like I'm being hard on Mike Trout. Mike Trout, by all accounts, both my own personal experience and, you know, observing and others that know him, is a great guy. He is a really good person, seemingly, who does wonders in the community, does a lot for kids, does a lot for charity. Mike Trout uh, uses his platform in a fantastic, fantastic way. In addition to being, uh, like you said, just insanely good at baseball, just beyond belief good at baseball. Uh, So I don't want to give the impression that I'm criticizing Mike Trout. I'm not criticizing Mike Trout. He uses the platform he has the way he wants to use it and in a really good way for his community. And I think for society, Uh, it's just that he isn't the kind of person to put himself out there publicly, which might be something that would benefit sort of baseball with a capital B. Uh, You know, and Fernando Tatis Jr. is sort of willing to do that. It's It's just a different. In personality, it doesn't mean one is good and one is bad. And I never want to give the impression that I'm criticizing Mike Trout because he clearly does uh, beyond good both on the field and offense.
5: You know, you responded to uh, a tweet. People wanted uh, some baseball takes. And I thought, because I'm looking at your Twitter account right now, and all mound visits from the dugout should be eliminated, including managers taking pitchers out of the game. I want people to think about that. When they call a timeout in football, the coaches don't walk out to the middle of the field. When they call a timeout in basketball, they don't walk out to the middle of the court. Like baseball is the only sport where you go timeout and a guy in uniform walks out to the mound. I I totally agree with it. Why do we need to have people go out? And and trust me, most pitchers don't want them coming out anyway. But I, I, I think that's an interesting take just eliminate all
3: visits to the mound. Yeah, I've been on this for years. I think mound visits are absolutely the worst. I understand that there's perhaps a need for player mound visits. Uh, catchers might need to go talk about signs. You know, I could live with them, although I'd love to get rid of that too uh, if they were away. But having managers or pitching that just come out to the mound should not exist. No other sport has it. Uh, I know other sports have quote unquote timeouts, but those other sports don't have the downtime baseball has. You have all half-innings to talk with your pitching coach about who's coming up next inning and what you need to be thinking about. Uh, there's no reason pitching changes can't happen from the dugout. There's no other sport where substitutions are required to happen like with a coach going onto the field. Uh, the other thing this would have do is eliminate the thing I hate as much as anything in baseball, which is the go out to the mound to give the reliever more time to warm up stall tactics. It's just awful. It just grinds the game to a halt. It shouldn't exist. Uh, I am 100% of the belief that all these, anything involving mid inning pitching changes needs to be essentially eliminated or changed in a huge way. I think that's one way of doing it is just getting rid of mound visits. I also think that mid inning pitching changes should be a lot shorter. Uh, I hate that a, a pitcher comes in the middle of an inning, a reliever gets eight warm up pitches. Why? Wow, you should be warmed up when you come into the game. I understand you need one pitch, maybe two to feel the game now because it is different than the bullpen mound. But again, that's another example of stalling. Like, oh, we're not going to get warmed up in the bullpen and I'm going to eat more pitches on the mound. These little things to speed up the game, to me, they matter. Uh, you know, the, if it shades off two or three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, just to keep the action going, I think that's good for the game. So Dallas mound visits.
5: Jared, we give him phones. There's a bullpen coach. He answers the phone. Why can't you call down and say, Hey, get so-and-so up. He's coming in next. If we're giving you phones, use them. You're right. Like, why do, why do you need to go out and visit? You can just call down to the bullpen and tell the guy to come in. I mean, that's why the phones are there.
3: It's tradition because they've always done it that way. Uh, And look, baseball traditions are part of what makes it great. I love that baseball has traditions, but it's also, I think part of like having traditions is also knowing uh, when traditions can be broken and which tradition, should be broken. I mean, I'm not saying we should eliminate the seventh inning stretch. I mean that's just a time-honored tradition of baseball. It's charming. It adds to the flow, to the character of the sport. Uh, mound visits, to me, do not. They just slow the game down and break the action during tense moments. So I don't think there's anything wrong. It doesn't make you like less of a baseball fan or less of even a purist to say some of the traditions that have ma- that have been part of the game. Maybe they're just there because they've always been there. And is that really good reason to be doing it at all?
5: Let's end on this. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, an honored tradition that's been going on forever is the players union and baseball fighting each other. They don't like each other. They just can't get along. It is what it is. But as we, I mean, we're, we're just starting to figure out some of the roster size. It's hard to believe we're figuring that out in February, but uh, when it's all said and done, do you think we'll have a universal DH and that we'll have expanded postseason? Uh,
3: <laughs> yes, I think we will. I think the universal DH is uh, I, that I'm extremely confident about, that there'll be a universal DH. I do believe that the, they'll make a side agreement for that to be this. Last year, they kind of stuck it into the health and safety protocols. Those are being negotiated again right now. I, I really think it will. Expanded playoff, I'm not sure. A little trickier. There's a little more to that one. Uh, there's a lot bigger for financial incentives on all for all parties when it comes to expanded playoffs. If you remember last year, the expanded playoffs were not settled, announced until after the season started, uh, which was pretty weird. It was like on opening day or the day after. So it could really come down to the wire. Ultimately, if I had to guess, yes or no, I actually think, yes, expanded playoffs will also happen. But my confidence on that is lower than universal DH, which I feel I really do think will ultimately happen on that one.
5: Well, continued success with the Wall Street Journal and, of course, with your book, Swing Kings, and let's talk soon
3: and be safe. Thank you so much. Always good to be here.
5: I got to tell you, i never thought about that, but I think it's, it's a fabulous idea. We don't need coaches going out to the mound. You just don't. And for some reason, that is a tradition that I think we could easily get rid of. Especially, like, like think about the Coliseum. You know, how much you got to walk and ground you got to cover getting out to the mound. No one else does that in sports. Does the head coach of the Sharks go out to middle ice?
6: Uh, no. And uh, you know how painful it was, to, you know, not to pick on the guy, but how painful it was if you're ever were watching a Giants game and watching Bruce Bochy go out to make a pitching change oh. or talk to the – I mean, Bruce, Bochy can't walk. He yeah. can't walk.
5: <laughs> I don't need to why say – like, Why do you need to go take the ball? Why can't you just call down to the bullpen – Give me so-and-so, so-and-so walks down. The pitcher can leave the ball on top of the mound or hand it to the guy, whatever the hell you want to do. Why does it have to be the manager's got to come out and he's got to pat the guy on the butt? He's got to take the ball. He's got to give it to the next guy. It's all wasted motion. I agree with you, and you know what?
6: Until Jared brought that up, I'd never thought about that. Here's an idea: get rid of that. Get rid of the, the the pitching the pitching changes with the manager and all that. You want to speed up the game even more? Bring back the bullpen car. Have them bring the relievers out instead of having them jog oh, out. The They're- golf
5: cart, the golf cart with the baseball on top of it, the old or the helmet. The old bullpen cart is one of the greatest
6: things ever. Bring that back. I mean. You can even have the starting pitcher. You know, for example, let's just say say Chris Bassett pitches seven innings, and it's the eighth inning. And he walks the first batter, and they you want to take him out for a reliever. You want to bring in Jake Diekman to face a lefty. Well, he has to pitch all three, face all three guys. But you know, let's pretend that we're not talking about that. He comes out on the bullpen car. You bring him in, he and he doesn't have to do his warm pitches because he wore up in the in the bullpen. You could have Chris Bassett drive the bullpen car back to the bullpen. Then again, the bullpen's already on the field of the Coliseum, so that really doesn't matter. <laughs> That's a really bad, you know, now I think about it, That's a really, really bad hey, uh but other ballparks that work. Hey, I I I've
5: I've I, I just I just looked it up. There's an article, February 2nd, 2018. It's called The Life, Death, and Rebirth of the Bullpen Cart, MLB.com. How many teams had you know what? You know a guy who will understand this, who played during this time. The great Ray Fosse. We're talking bullpen carts with Ray Fossey next, right here on Ace Cast Live.
7: Hi, this is Ramon Laureano.
4: And the throw is going to be in time at the plate. Laureano firing a strike all the way on the line. And
7: you're listening to Ace Cast, your 24-7 destination for Ace baseball.
5: It is time for the face of the franchise. Two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Gold Glove winner, hit it Cody. Wednesday is known as Hump Day for everyone during the work week, but on A's
0: Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes
2: with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise,
1: Ray Fosse
5: hello ray how are
1: you Tony? i am doing great baseball's right around the corner since we last talked there was a proposition given to the players nope let's play baseball so playing baseball i talked to Delair lewars this morning as well as joey Libertori. now talking to you guys cody how you doing
6: i'm good foss i'm very excited to talk uh to hear your thoughts on something tony's going to bring up that you're pretty familiar with so uh I can't wait to hear you have to, what you have to say about that. But I'm doing well, and I hope you are too, my friend.
1: Are, are, are you excited about baseball and, and, and really getting back into it and uh, knowing that sport, spring training is going to start on time, the regular season is going to start on time, and hopefully baseball can have 162 games. And, man, wouldn't that be great to be able to uh, say 2021 is back to normal and we can have a baseball season. I uh, think that would be great
5: amen let's get this thing going i miss it you know we we had dave cavill on and we're like god i i, ha- I haven't seen dave in over a year and I know. then i haven't false i haven't seen you or ken corat well I, I played golf with ken one time but i haven't false i haven't seen you since spring training
1: yes and i know but you know what we want to see you but man when you sent the chicken pie shop from Walnut Creek goodies out, man. I said, "Who cares about Chris Townsend? Just send out the goodies." <laughs> <We> <laughs> man, that. that was a, that was great stuff. Uh, in the, the between double header snack, or actually full meal, it was, and uh, man, that was great. So, uh, for those listening, check it out because we experienced it firsthand, and it is delicious. So yeah. chicken pie shop of Walnut Creek.
5: We will do we we will do that again for you. By the way, Foss, we were just talking. Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, he's got like a pet peeve. He he does not like he he doesn't like when managers or pitching coaches go out to the mound. And I went, you know what? Nobody else in sports does this. Why not get rid of that? And then I thought, you know what? We need to bring back. It's kind of in, in this. they had this a lot, I, I believe, when you were playing. Is the bullpen cart? The bullpen cart was great. Can't we bring that back?
1: All right, Tony, let me tell you this. First of all, no baseballs around the corner, but the game has changed a lot. Let's not go too far. First and foremost, the manager and or pitching coach going to the mound, there is a certain amount of strategy that's involved in baseball, and yes, in football and all the other stuff, you know, all the plays are called from the bench in football. You know that they've got the, you know, now with the mask, it doesn't matter to have to try to conceal their face and somebody can read lips or whatever. But, you know, the thing about baseball, I think that when a pitching coach goes out, he can see something from the sideline that maybe the pitcher is doing. I, as a catcher, whenever I would go to the mound, I would see something that his pitcher is doing. So really there are a couple different angles. So while those guys and other sports don't go out in the middle of the field or whatever, we can see some things. Now, I'll give you an example. I had a pitcher one time, or actually there was a catcher, uh, who who never went to the mound. I said, you know, ball one, ball two, ball three, the whole thing. I said, why did not you go to the mound? He said, because the umpire told me not to. I said, forget about the umpire. And this was before there was a a number of mound visits. But if you as a catcher see something that a pitcher is doing, you're trying to win the game, and that man on the mound has – the ability to get out and that's what you want to try to do. If he's doing something that's causing him to not throw strikes or not locate the pitches that he's throwing, then he needs to be told. Now there are certain signs that I would have pitchers, get your arm up and you know different things like that. But I think when a pitching coach goes out and I'll go back to him because maybe he sees something from the side, maybe he wants to give him a little bit of a breath. I mean they're calculated now with how many times they can go to the mound. but I think from the manager standpoint, the, the great late Sparky Anderson, there was a great story about him. The one time that he went to the mound, the pitcher talked him out of taking him out. But before Sparky could sit down at Old Tiger Stadium, pitcher had given up a home run. So, you know, as time went after that, you'd see Sparky leave the, the dugout and point immediately to the, to the bullpen. And, you know, he didn't have to get to the mound. He pointed the guy. He started running in. So that pitcher on the mound had no chance of talking him out of staying, getting, being able to stay in the game. So that, that part is there. Cody, to your point and, and Tony about the bullpen card, I'll, I'll give you an example. First of all, it used to be sponsored. They used to have a car that whether or, whether or not the bullpen, the reliever came into the car, the car would show up, the car would take the, tri- the trip around the warning track, and that was kind of a, a promotion for the auto manufacturer. In Yankee Stadium, they had a golf cart. And the golf cart used to go from the, this is old Yankee Stadium. It used to go from the bullpen on the warning track because they didn't want to take, you know, God forbid, get on the, on the field with the car in the same, or uh, with the cart, same with the car. So they go on the warning track. If you were a visiting relief pitcher, you were pummeled with everything from the stands. It got to the point that that golf cart would show up, maybe had a sponsorship logo on it, but the relief pitcher would run in from the bullpen. Because there's no way he wanted to get – I mean, all it took was one time to get at that golf cart, be let out at the at the dugout, and then walk to the mound or trot to the mound. And he said, "The heck with that. I want to save my life. So that was Yankee Stadium. I don't know of any other place or other places that happened, but I do recall in Yankee Stadium, that reliever, when I was playing for Cleveland or, or the Yankee or the uh, Athletics, they never took the golf cart in. So, And, and then plus, you have to realize a couple of things. Number one, when that reliever comes in, He's been in the bullpen. He's throwing, getting ready to come to the game. He's not running. He's not really doing much. So by coming in from the bullpen and running, and most guys do run, it gives them a chance to loosen up. Now also bear in mind with the new speed up the game rules, it's my understanding, unless this has changed, that once the reliever is called in from the bullpen, he has a certain amount of time to leave the pen, get to the mound, take his eight warm-up tosses, if he takes his time, remember Lee Smith? It took him forever to get from the bullpen to the mound. He would never have been able to throw one warm-up toss based on the rule that I think still exists. So there are, there are different things that, yeah, if you can go back to the, pa- the past, but kinda I still go back to the fact that I don't know that anybody goes to the game and keeps looking at their watch to see, oh, my gosh, we've been here three hours. Let's hurry up and get going. They want to see a baseball game. And I, I think that sometimes when you try to speed up the game – how much is it going to take away from uh, the, the time of game? I, I think you just have to go by the rules. I understand what you guys are talking about, but uh, I would rather see them uh, give credit to a catcher for blocking a ball than bringing back the bullpen car.
5: All right, I, I cannot believe I'm seeing this right now, but I'm on a a, a Google Images. Um, the Mariners used to have a bullpen ship. They would bring relievers on in the ship. <laughs> And then this one, Foss, I, I don't know if this is during your era, but the Yankees used to have a Dotson, an actual car that they would yeah. bring in. It's, it's a black and white photo, but they had a Dotson car that would bring guys in from the pool.
1: Yeah. And, and you know what? Dotson paid money to do that. That was oh, a sponsorship. That's, that's what I'm saying. They, they used cars. And I remember when cars were actually used, and, and the sponsorship. Uh, of that car, that would be a way. I mean, you think about in Yankee Stadium. You got fifty thousand people. Here's the here's the pitching change, and here comes this Dotson. Well, you got fifty thousand people watching the Dotson come in, you know. And if, if if it's on television, they come back from break, you know, and then the TV guys say, "Hey, there's a reliever coming in." Well, they show it. Remember the old subliminal uh, advertising? You know that in the business. You know, the more you can get, the better it is. But no, times have changed. But uh, but I, I think. I, I do remember in New York, and I don't know if it was a golf cart or a car, but reg- I think it was a golf cart because when, when that came on the warning track, man, those guys had everything thrown at them. And that, that was a time when <laughs> nobody really cared or checked to see what you were doing uh, in your pockets and had in your pockets to throw stuff. But uh, I remember a reliever said, nope, not doing that anymore. I'll just run in for the bullpen. You know,
5: for you and your career, um, obviously, you guys caught way more bullpens than than the catchers do today. <laughs> you think? Uh, you yeah. think? <laughs> but what was it like for you? Because you know, we're we're starting this thing up really quick. What was it like for you right before you you would report?
1: I'll give you a great example. I was signed in 1965. Uh, went to Reading, Pennsylvania. Spent basically June, July, August there. Uh, Went to school in the off season. Went to spring training. I very did very little workout. Found it Cody. I, I, the one thing that happened to me: my legs from warming up pitchers. My legs were so sore because I was not in great shape from a catching standpoint. That by the time I got a chance to get in the, in the uh, batting cage to swing, my legs were quivering. I couldn't swing. I couldn't swing the bat. So I learned from that spring training that in the off season, the first thing I worked on. I worked on my legs because, you know, you, you have to do that. And, you know, what the catchers need to do now, um, if they're new pitchers, you need to catch as many as you can. If, you, uh, if you're a veteran, even Sean Murphy has not been around that long. And the more, ca- more pitchers you can catch, the better you're going to be in recognizing what they throw, how they throw certain pitches. And, you know, it goes back to original conversation about you see him throw, let's say, a curveball, and he does it one way and it's the right way then you see him in a game and that same curveball comes out of his hand a different way that's that's the time and that's what I don't like about the the number of mound visits because if I'm a catcher and I see that I need to be able to tell that pitcher now you can have certain sort of signs or whatever that's fine but sometimes walking out and saying hey hey man you're you this is what you're doing and make the correction there but uh, you know the, the the catchers and you know talking about the catching bullpens Remember, we had two catchers on the roster. We didn't have bullpen catchers. And uh, if I didn't start a game, that's why I'd rather start a game than work out in the bullpen or, uh, or be in the bullpen because I had to warm up more pitchers, and it was more tiring that way than it was when I actually caught. But Old Tiger Stadium was the worst uh, because Tiger Stadium had the, had the uh, extension, the overhang, and the bullpen was in play like the Coliseum is now. But this elevated portion of Old Tiger Stadium hung over the bullpen. And they would throw stuff unbelievably at me. And, you know, you, you get distracted from your pitcher throwing a pitch because you got something come projectile coming out of the upper deck coming at you. And you're looking at that and all of a sudden, here comes a baseball. And I was, I was stupid. I didn't, I didn't wear catching gear. I didn't wear a mask or, you know, like guys do. And when they're warming up pitchers, I just, you know, I'm going out there and just doing no mask, nothing, and just started warming up the pitcher. But I tell you, that was a dangerous place. Fenway Park is still dangerous because that bullpen for the visitors, they have uh, fans leaning over. Uh, in Seattle, they have fans leaning over there. But you know, Boston was one place that during a period of time in the 70s, and, and they, you, you could smoke in the stands. <laughs> and uh, there, is a, there is a certain odor that would, would <laughs> permeate into the bullpen. And I'm going, wow, that's not a cigarette smell. But uh, you know it, it was just it was just an experience that that you gained being in a bullpen. but you know the important thing is to warm up as many pitchers as possible, get your legs in shape, and for any catcher that's trying to make a team get your legs in shape, get your arm in shape, the rest of it's going to come just with the, the working and the uh, the workout and, and catching bullpens and catching batting practice and different things like that.
5: Yeah, you mentioned cigarettes, right? I you know when, when my mom passed, And I I, I cleaned out our family home and, you know, all the stuff of my grandfathers and seeing all these programs for, you know, the Boston Braves. He played for the Pirates. (laughs) And, and like, all the advertising cigarettes back then.
1: That's right. That's right.
5: I mean, it was all, like, (laughs) cigarettes, booze. I mean, it was like a program today is far different from a program when my grandfather was playing in the 40s and the 50s.
1: You know, I agree because you can go into antique stores and you know how they'll have – cutouts of like Life Magazine or different types of magazines. They'll cut out an individual uh, a, a page and it will be of a, a professional athlete selling cigarettes or booze, like you said, you know, but uh, you, you remember the um, uh, the baseball card, um, the T, T31, 231, I think, of uh, the player I, I, I've lost because I'm thinking about Trout, how much his card is, is valued at but there was a, a baseball player they put his name on a cigarette pack and he said, "I don't smoke. I don't want to encourage kids or anybody to smoke and they had to stop manufacturing that pack so that's why his car became a very valuable baseball car because there were so few of them but you know you're exactly right with uh, with some of the advertising, but times have changed and you know they used to smoke cigars in the stands and uh, cigarettes and uh, but, you know, all that has changed, I think, for the good, because there's too many kids standing and sitting around that, that uh, when people would do that, they'd have to, they'd have to be getting the secondhand smoke. Nothing you know, any, I, I don't, don't get me wrong about people who smoke. I, it's just it's my belief that, you know, a baseball park, you know, eat your peanuts and hot dogs and uh, have your beverage. But sometimes there are other things you can do outside the stadium.
5: Oh, I hear you. I, I, I quit dipping. I think it was like five years ago, and it was one of the best moves I've ever made oh. in my life. Um, yeah, get off of it. It's not good for you. Uh, we're gonna talk to Cole Irvin, the new pitcher for the A's, coming up here at three o'clock. But we taped him earlier. Uh, he's out in North Carolina. And Ray, I don't think we really know. Like if I said to you, if we're gonna play 162, how many different guys are gonna start a game? Whether you're a good team, a bad team, like how are you going to get 27 outs every single game? I mean, these guys haven't pitched in a full season now. It's been a long time. Like, how many starters do you think each team's going to run through this year?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Tony. As always, you bring up some good points. And I think, number one, from the A standpoint, it could benefit them because in the case of Sean Maniah, they were going to limit some of these guys, Jesus Lazardo, even A.J. Puck. I think he, he had some shoulder surgery in the offseason. But, but you know, some of the guys who were going to be limited in innings anyway, maybe last year helped them. But I think exactly like you said, because, you know, September of, of 2019 was the last time that, say, a pitcher uh, completed his season in full and had the number of innings. But, you know, you take the, the Tampa Bay Rays, if a kid like Blake Snell comes out of the World Series in the sixth inning, you better have a boatload of guys in the bullpen. Because, you know, your starters only go going to go through the batting order twice, according to what? Kevin Cash did with Blake Snell and you take him out on the sixth inning when he's dominating, just because it's the third time through the batting order. And if they go with that philosophy, you better have a lot of guys in the bullpen. And the one of the problems I see in, in the bullpen guys, you have that bridge, the bridge guy, it's the guy who takes you from the starter, let's say to the setup and the closer, he has to be good because if you're the opposing team, you want that bridge guy to come in because typically he's not as good as the back end of the bullpen. Now the A's have a good bullpen and then they're able to handle any situation like that. But I, I think that's a good point as far as how many it's going to take, because, you know, in, in the, the way the game is played now, and then you factor in only 60 games last year. And the fact they started spring training, stopped it, went forever, it seemed, and then started again on an abbreviated spring training, abbreviated schedule. And, you know, the teams that had players who played in winter baseball, if, if they were able to do that, some of them did. I saw that, I think, uh, Yadier Molina was playing third base and first base and pitching or doing something. They didn't probably want him behind the plate. But, you know, if you could play some innings, some games in winter baseball and you go into spring training, you know, that can help you. But uh, it, it's going to be an interesting season in 21, just because of, of like you said, and I think it's going to affect position players as well, Tony, because. You know, these guys have not been out on their feet 162 games, and you take somebody that plays 150, 155 games, you're basically going two and a half to three times the number of games you played if you played every day in in 2020 uh, because of the shortened season. So I, I think baseball might be affected. I think it's going to be incumbent on the manager to make sure that maybe rest is given at a proper time. If they go by the season the way it stands now, The 162 starting on time, they have enough days, off days built in that I think players can get uh, the rest that they're probably going to need this year more than any time.
5: Hey, the reality is you got a lot of guys that have not pitched. I mean, there are a lot of guys. And if you're talking about major league guys all the way down through minor leaguers who did not play, you can't simulate what the adrenaline, what it's like when you get on the mound. A lot of these guys are going to show up. They're going to get dead arm. It's just it's just what happens. I, I just, I, I'm so interest, interested to see how pitching goes this year, Foss, because you essentially have, I mean, what, thousands of pitchers that are going to be minor league players who haven't thrown a, in a real inning in over a year.
1: Well, that is, that is a, a great, great point, and, and I, I agree, and maybe another visit with Scott Emerson, the A's pitching coach, and, and Gil Patterson, who is, is the minor league uh, roving pitching coach, because they're going to have to get those guys up to speed. First and foremost, I think it's going to be important for the minor league players to play and not have the season canceled like it was last year and have the uh, alternate site that the A's had in San Jose because you had a lot of players who had not played, and when they do show up in spring training, they will have not played for over 18 months, played any competitive baseball. And, you know, it's going to be starting all over again. So that's why I'm hopeful that 2021 can be a complete season and we can go forward with that. But, uh, you know, there's there so many uh, factors that nobody knows and how it's going to be handled in this upcoming season. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure, or at least a lot of preparation from the standpoint of the manager, pitching coach, hitting coaches, and all those other coaches strength and conditioning to to make sure the players stay healthy now guys correct me if i'm wrong they did they agreed or at least the new rule going into 2021 there's no expanded playoff is that correct yeah where
5: we're, the universal dh and playoffs it's still murky
1: okay but uh, I, I think that has to be established and agreed upon by both parties prior to the season i don't know if something like that can 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 be implemented during the season, but if they go in the normal, and, and they depend on the postseason shares, we're back to the same way they were uh, last year, or in, and well, last year before they agreed on the fifty million dollars. Now, I did read because someone asked me about it. And I thought I'd read it, and I, I I remember seeing it again that with expanded playoffs, the owners agreed to uh, contribute eighty million dollars of postseason shares because postseason shares explain once again to fans that may not know it's not regular payroll pay our salary it's simply based on the attendance and depending on how many people are in the stands and and you know expanded playoffs you get more people in the stands you get more games played but that's under normal circumstances but look if it goes like last year where nobody's in the stands until it's like texas where they allow them to be in for the lts world series but still not the capacity that you normally would have would have you know, you are going to get to the point where players are going to be playing for the World Series ring, and that's going to be it. So I, I would envision that something's got to happen to where they either have to agree on some sort of a monetary contribution from the owners and to keep it with the normal, but from the standpoint of the owners, why would they do it? Why should they do it? Because if the players think that the owners are going to make more money if they have expanded playoffs, but it looks to me like the players would get an additional $30 million to be spread around to the postseason teams versus the 50 they had last year versus even worse than that to zero contribution and based on fans in the stands. And if that's minimal, that's what we're looking at.
5: Ray, we need to get on your private jet and we need to go and we need to, you and I need to help Manfred and Tony Clark and just, uh, we need, you and I get these guys in a room and force them to do a deal. That's, That's what you and I need to do.
1: Hey, Tony. I don't have a private jet. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was with the A's on the Speakers Bureau, uh, under the Haas family, and, and they brought back the Speakers Bureau and getting out in the community, a key year, Reggie Jackson, was with the A's. And so uh, we were going to Fresno, and typically, you know, we drove every place. So he said, meet at the private airport in Fresno, uh, in, the, at the, in, in Oakland, uh, where we fly out on one of the charters now. So we get on this private plane. First time I'd ever been on a, a private plane and flew to Fresno. I mean, it was great. Up, boom, gone down. I mean, it was it was actually scary how quickly it got up. But I remember Reggie said to Wally Haas, said, uh, when are we going to take your jet? And Wally said, I don't have one. <laughs> so I think that to be said at all. And that's why Wally Haas and the Haas family have done well. And, and Reggie had, I think, uh, you know, one of those rental type uh, jet things where you get so many hours, whatever, but uh, no, if we're going to talk to them, which we're not, you know, they're not going to let us, uh, <laughs> but they just need to do something. You know, the game is great. Cody, you and Townie know it as well as anybody. This is a great game. Don't mess it up. I mean, don't mess it up. It, it's such a great game. And that's why it's been around as long as it is, you know, let footballs. football, you know, let them stay on the sidelines when they call a timeout, you know, let the pitching coach go to the mound, let the manager go to the mound. I would take away the mound visits. I mean, don't abuse it. If you finally start abusing it, uh, abusing it, then yeah, you, you you put some limitations on it. But you know, if you're going to save two to three minutes, I mean, get to the point where you let your starting pitcher throw 160, 100, 170 pitches, then you don't have so many pitching changes. 170. <laughs> hey, that's before they had the pitch counters, man. They <laughs> nobody counted pitches. You know, that was a four. That's a four-man rotation, too, Town. Oh, four-man four man, four rotation. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. And
5: Dinosaurs roamed the earth during that time.
1: <laughs> no, no. It wasn't that long ago. And that, that was a 40-start season. You only needed four starters. And you, 40? And, and 40 starts. 40 I'm hoping to get 20 <laughs> out of these guys. You want 40? <laughs> well, you know what? If you have Catfish, Holtzman, Vida, And Blue Moon Odom. And that's why, you know, we've talked about this, only nine pitchers in the roster of the 1974 World Series that only used five pitchers. And those games went fast. They were low scoring, but pitching and defense dominated. And there's a reason that when you have good quality pitching, just think about if you had a four-man rotation and you didn't have to scuffle to try to get a fifth sometimes, and clubs do that. Some clubs scuffle to get three, four, and five, much less, you know, just the fifth starter. But I think the A's are fortunate. to have a good rotation. They've got a good bullpen. And sometimes it's better to let the guy on the mound because I was always under the understanding, the feeling as, as a broadcaster, watching guys. You know, you, you look at the scoreboard and you see the pitch count rising, rising and rising. You say, oh my gosh, he's out. He's just getting loose. He's just finally getting to the point where he's pitching well. But that number that's on the board and the clicker that's in the pitching coach's hand warrants him coming out of the game at a point in time when he's starting to get good. And so, uh, no, those times will never come back. There's too much money in the game. There's the protection of those players, which is understanding. But uh, I I think sometimes, again, Blake Snell, you you tell me he wasn't frustrated standing standing in the dugout uh, and and watching in Arlington, watching his team lose game six and lose the World Series when the way he was dominating those players and those teams just because of the analytics said third time through the batting order may not be as successful. You know, that there was never any talk about that. And that, that was the beauty of the game. Nobody looked at the clock, but we played some fast games. but uh, did you have Randy Jones on? Oh yeah. We have, have you
5: Randy. Had him on. Talk about Z. Well, you know, the one guy that I always think about and because he's your partner, uh, Gaylord Perry, hot Oh yeah. Bye-bye. I mean, you just, you just, you look at the amount of innings. It's just, it's like, it's like, 370 in it. You're like, that's never, I mean, that's, that's, that's never right.
1: yeah, no, it's, it's not going to happen, but you know, players, pitchers train differently. And I think it was the Mets in the late sixties and, and maybe Cody before we talk again, can, can look it up. But it seemed like it was the Mets that started a five man rotation in minor leagues. You have to groom these guys in the minor leagues. First and foremost to be have a four man rotation but also to have a five-man rotation. It seems like it was the Mets who started that in the late 60s. And then, of course, it developed into, you know, basically by the time – because I know in the early 70s with the, uh, with the A's, we had a four-man rotation. So I don't know if they started and started training those guys and then brought it into Major League Baseball. But, you know, a four-man rotation, uh, the late catfish hunter pitched pitch today, take tomorrow off, throw on the side the next day, take the next day off and pitch. I mean, that was it. I mean, it was a routine that he had religiously, and, you know, every, everybody else did the same. And remember, there are some guys that actually threw batting practice in between starts as, as a, side session, a side session, and maybe that was a period of time when your grandfather played. But, um, you know, it's a different time, but, again, you have to adjust and adapt to the different times. There are people that could be listening to this and saying, what is he talking about, you know, the four-man rotation, all these innings and all these things. That's not the t- baseball in the 2020s, you know, or even 2000s or whatever. It, it's, it's a changed time, and we have to adapt to that. But, uh, you know, it is interesting because I've had players currently say, when I throw out Gaylord's numbers, how did he do that? You know, because <laughs> they've, ne- they've never experienced a four-man rotation, God forbid, 300 innings, and, you know. But, um, you know, the, the partner was good. The partner was good. So, yeah.
5: you, you, you were – weren't you a player rep at one point?
1: Yes, I was. And I was the player rep in 1972. Whenever uh, we flew to Dallas, Texas, and where I had to put up my hand, voting to strike. And I know, again, people probably don't like it. But baseball at that time was dominated by ownership. And uh, the late Marvin Miller, who's inducted into or at least uh, selected to go into the Hall of Fame last year, whether or not here is well, he won't because he's passed away with his family. But uh, you know we voted at that time to go on strike because we were going for minimum salary a pension and different things you know that really i made seven thousand dollars as my minimum salary and now it's five hundred sixty five thousand and people would say well it's relative to the time and i i continue to say no but i was the player rep then and you know tony it's very hard to put up your hand to vote for something especially monetarily when you know you don't have one penny in the bank and my late father-in-law john mancuso uh, and my wife, Carol, of course, you know, very helpful during that time. And, and, and I took out a loan from him to get me through until we started playing again. But those were hard times in the early seventies. And that's, uh, you know, that, that was something that, that I enjoyed because at the time we had roommates, but if you're a player rep, you got a single room. So I loved it, but, but you know, then everybody gets a single room now, but, uh, a lot of challenges. Um, being a player representative and even more so now with everything's going on and those players like Marcus Simeon was the ace player rep. Now he's with Toronto. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen there for him, but I know going into the 20 uh, December 21 when the collective bargaining agreement expires, that's when you're going to see those player reps, assistant player reps um, getting involved tremendously with the negotiations. That's when it's going to take its toll.
5: Well, that's the thing, Ray. It's like you guys have just never gotten along. You know, the, the commissioner <laughs> and the, the union. I mean, it's just it's always been like this. I mean, you guys and it's still to this day. It could be as bad as it was way back when, like 70s and 80s. It's just they never get along. It's it's, it's unbelievable. It doesn't, and the, the, the names change, the people change, but the same problems always exist.
1: The one thing that has changed, though, tremendously, uh, Tony, is the dollar sign, the amount of money. Because players today, if they have any kind of a career, they should never have to work a day in their life if they don't want to. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but they need to be able to do something because at a a young age, they've got a lot of time left in their life. And if they make a lot of money, they can invest it wisely. And and really, from from their standpoint, uh, there was one player who basically said, And we know him because he played for the A's. And I just read a story about him. He said, I made enough for my wife and me, but I came back and played again and made the money for my children and their children. So, you know, there's money to be made, but there's also the importance of working and having a reason to get up in the morning and do something. And, And unfortunately, with the pandemic and the shutdown, there are a lot of people that have not had work that they could go to and look forward to. And there have been a lot of unfortunate circumstances that have happened because of that. So even though you have the money, having some sort of a, of a, um, a reason to exist, to me, is the most important thing. Because otherwise, you're long, the days are long. And, you know, it, it's not something that anybody should have to deal with. But, uh, and that's what baseball players, I think, today, if they don't want to, they don't have to work. But I think it's important for them to do something to be able to keep their mind sharp between their ears and, and be able to do something so that they can sustain the rest of their life, which they have more time left in life than they're ever going to play baseball with.
5: Yeah. I really feel bad for him, Ray, as uh, commander Cody and I are lower level employees and we, are going to have to work for our entire life. I really feel bad for him.
1: Well, <laughs> but you know what? You have a purpose in life too, Johnny. Cody, and,
5: and, Cody, I, and, I Cody think, and I are going to be in our 70s, still grinding it out.
1: <laughs> and, you, and you know what? I'm right there with it. I'm grinding it out. I love it. You know, yeah, because, but,
5: you know you're, you're a different animal though.
1: Well, but Tony, it, 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 we're doing something we truly love, you know, you do a great job interviewing Cody does a great job getting the guests. I mean, your tandem is perfect. And, and you know, the, the, there's a purpose. I mean, because for you, every day is different because you interview somebody different every day that you're on air. And I think that's what makes it special. You're not going to work doing the same thing every day, going home, same day, the next day, you're doing the same thing. Baseball enables those who, of us who are fortunate to be involved, enables us to look at life differently. And, you know, my brother, my older brother said, you don't know how fortunate you are to know what you want to do coming out of high school. I wanted to play baseball. And, you know, I got, I was fortunate. I got a chance to play and even better than that, I've gotten a chance to stay in the game. But a lot of people aren't that fortunate. Most people aren't that fortunate, but baseball gives everybody involved. And I say baseball because that's, that's what we do, but it gives us a purpose in life. You know, Tony, I love going to the park and watching a baseball game. You know, that old saying about you may see something you never seen before. You always think about that. And, And for, for Martin McGuire, when he was with the A's, 300 uh, 363 home runs, but for 11 seasons, I never missed a home run that he hit in 363 home runs. And I kept waiting for that one shot, and it came. I said it before, Randy Johnson at the Kingdome, Mark McGuire oh. hitting, and he crushed it into the <laughs> upper deck. Now You know what? That's something that I waited for. It took me a long time, but I finally saw it. You know, so, again, uh, you see plays. Kendall Grayman made a play against the Angels where, As a pitcher, he turned an unassisted double play at third base, where he chased down the guy at third, uh, who who started for the play, chased him down, got him, tumbled over, and he got the guy coming in from second base. I'd never seen that before, but in baseball, that's something that you can enjoy because that's something you can remember and say, "I, "I saw that. I've never seen it before, but I saw it. I can't believe I saw it." And then the next day, you see something I've never seen that either. You know, so that's the beauty of it. But you know what you and Cody do. That is special. Fans enjoy it. We all enjoy it. We all love it. And I, I think that's the most important thing that you can bring on guests, no matter what uh, area they are in, what the expertise they have regarding baseball, you can bring them in and bring out something that fans are listening, saying, wow, I didn't know that. And uh, so you know, going back to the original part of the conversation, I hated to dispute about your mountain business and the carts at the bullpen, but, you know, that's, We're that's bringing the way I feel.
5: It, boss. We're going to bring the Dobson back.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you may bring out one of your Corvettes. You know, yeah. and bring.
5: <laughs> by the way, I'm looking at it. I mean, if you think about this, guys like you, Rick Monday, 1965, the first ever Major League Baseball draft. So you went seventh. Monday went first. Gene Lamont went 13. So no, had Bernie Carbo 16. There's a lot of these guys you have no idea. And then you were even ahead of the great Johnny Bench, who didn't go to the second round. Yeah,
1: and, and Nolan Ryan, I think, was in that as well. Where was he? Ooh, I think yeah. Nolan was in.
5: The- Greg Nettles was in this draft.
6: I think Nolan. Uh, I yeah. think Nolan was like a 12th round pick. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. So- my my, but,
5: you uncle, know, but you, my, my uncle, uncle grew my uncle grew up playing baseball with medals at San Diego High School. Hal McGray, Sal Bando. Yeah, uh, yeah he a problem. You know the problem for Nolan Ryan was uh, Ray is the fact that he grew. Up, I can't remember the name of the town, but he was such Alvin a in Texas. Al, yeah, it was such a like his high school was so small, like no one ever went to see him.
1: Yeah, well, you know, and the reason I was drafted the way I was by Cleveland is because Cleveland was looking for a catcher, and you know that's what it took. Uh, you know, so to to me, draft choices, that's why I've always said about tanking that I don't believe you can tank in baseball to get a draft choice because you don't know what you're going to get. Look at the draft that you just talked about and, and the teams that passed on and even in the current times, the teams that passed on Mike Trout and look at Trout, uh, you know, so, um, you know, you you know, you gotta be thinking, Oh my gosh, how how could we do that? But that's what happens because when you draft somebody, you know, you don't know how they're going to develop in the case of Mike Trout, I, I think the best in baseball, you know, I, I heard the, the conversation about, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, the one thing about miking a player, he has to be good enough to back up what he's talking about. And, and I think Mike Trout, um, while they want him to do more, because I, I have always felt he's the face of baseball because when Derek Jeter retired, I told Mike, I said, you're going to be the guy, you're going to be the guy, but, but he's not as outgoing as say Fernando Tatis Jr. And so there is a difference, but, you know, you, you can't just mic up anybody or, or or establish somebody as, you know, the face of whatever, because if they can't back it up on the field, what good is it? It doesn't do any good. So, uh, you know, it, it takes a special person to do that, but uh, I would take a Mike Trout anytime just because of his ability to do as much as he does. I mean, he, he's a multi I mean five tool, heck, forget about five tool. He's, he's got more tools than anybody, you know, and what he's able to do, but, Tony, we are blessed to be involved in a great game of baseball. So, You know, that's all I can say.
5: Nettles went in the fourth round. Amos Otis went in the fifth. Al McCray in the sixth. Sal Bando in the sixth. And then you go down. Tom Seaver went in the tenth round. Tom House, legendary pitching coach, went uh, in the eleventh. Nolan Ryan went in the twelfth round. Daryl Evans (laughs) in the thirteenth. Uh, Gene Garber, uh, went in the 20th along with Gene tennis. There's some legendary guys in this first, yeah. first ever draft that you were a part of.
1: And Tony, if they got as little money as I did as the number one draft choice for them, then <laughs> they got, they got
5: nothing. Come on. You're a, to... seventh pick, you're a bonus baby. You probably got like 20 million. 28,000. <laughs> what did Monday? Do you, you know what Monday got for being the first ever he, pick?
1: He told me there was rumors that he got 100, and he told me that he, it exceeded that. Uh, but he didn't give me the actual number. So it exceeded 100,000. But remember, and again, I've said it before, the draft was implemented to, to curtail the bonuses. <laughs> because before 65, you could sign with anybody. And you could negotiate with all the teams in baseball and take your pick. But uh, they brought in the draft. You're drafted by that team. And if you're a high school player, which I was, if I had said no, I would have gone to college. And I would gone to a three-year school or four-year school, which means I had to play at least three. And, you know, who knows if I'd played uh, baseball. But I, I wanted to play baseball. And I basically said, give me whatever you're going to give me. I don't care. I just want to play. And, and it worked out well for me. But, you uh, no, I, I think there are, are a lot of players that, uh, you know, they just want to be given the chance. And, and that's what the draft did in 65. But now you're looking at slots. You're looking at the number one overall gets. I mean, you're talking about the millions. You know, they're getting that. And I, I think, and again, Eric Kubota, when I asked him and he said the scouts who scout a particular player have to know his desire to play the game because you give a kid out of high school five or six million dollars, what incentive does he have to play? Because he could bank that money and never have to work a day in his life. So you, your scouts have to be important and know with contacting the parents and the player and just get an idea. First of all, is he, is he draftable or is he going to go to college? But if you're going to give him that kind of money, you better know he's going to want to play the game because he, you're putting a lot of an in investment into that one player uh, as your top choice. And, you know, that's why I think Eric Kubota does a great job in his, uh, his director of scouting and Grady Fuson did a great job when he was the director of scouting. So uh, it, it's an important part of the game. And again, you and I have talked about this, that that's an entire show by itself because the importance of scouts and watching players, and that's something that's, Really going by the wayside because of the analytics, but again, that's old school versus current and they believe they can do it with analytics. So be it. But, uh, Scott, it's important to be able to watch somebody to see what they can do on the field, but also what they do off the field or at least into the dugout away from between the white lines. You know, you can't see that on TV because we never show it, but, uh, you know, that, that's an important part of the game as well.
5: I can't imagine how shaky the hand was of Charlie Finley when he had to write Rick Monday a check of over $100,000. <laughs> I bet Charlie was not thrilled uh, uh, about that check. Ross, you are the best, my friend. Be <laughs> safe, be well.
1: We'll talk to you next week. I look forward to it. Cody, have a great day. You, got, you got, I tell you what, don't ever think, if you work to your 70, 80, 100, and you get to be in baseball, just know that you are privileged and how privileged you are. To be able to do something you thoroughly enjoy. You do a great job, guys.
5: The face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, right here on A's Cast Live. Earlier today, can't make this up. Before he's going to go go kart racing, new A's left hander, Cole Irvin was able to join us as the A's got him from the Philadelphia Phillies. Here's our conversation with the left hander. Cole, it's great to have you on A's Cast Live and welcome to the A's
7: family. Oh, I'm excited! I am excited to wear green and yellow, and, and more importantly, white cleats.
5: Yes, and and you know the thing too that you know when you're coming to the Oakland A's right now, you know the team that won the division last year, the two previous years, won 97 games. I mean, you're coming to a team that you know the expectations are to win the division and, and again and go on a deep run in the postseason.
7: Absolutely, I mean we got we got a an awesome offense and a great defense behind us. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting the guys in the clubhouse and, and getting, getting the ship, uh, getting the ship rolling. I mean, uh, just there's, there's so much good about coming to the Oakland A's and and I'm definitely looking forward to it. You know,
5: and, and I think for a lot of players and especially young guys, when you start looking at the way the A's do business, it's the land of opportunity. I mean, you're going to get your chance to not only start, you're going to get a chance to come out of the bullpen. I and and we think we're not totally sure how it's going to work, but with, there's going to be a lot of
7: innings out there for someone like yourself to go get some outs for the A's. Absolutely, you know. And I'm, you know, here's the thing: is I'm thankful that I'm thankful for the opportunity. Um, you know, when when I got when I got the phone call that I was traded, um, that was the first thing that went through my mind was. I'm getting opportunity to pitch and, and prove that I, that I can pitch in the big leagues. And, and I felt that, uh, you know, in Philadelphia and this is nothing against the new regime or any, or any of the old regime, it was just, the opportunity just wasn't quite there and uh, to be able to start or to be able to relieve and, and actually work through some of the woes that come with that. And uh, you know, what I'm, I'm really excited to be a part of Oakland uh, you know, the, the community of Oakland, um, you know, I'm just, the, the opportunity is there, like you said, and, and it gets me extremely excited. You know, Scott Emerson's a Carolina guy. Have you been able to talk to the pitching coach yet? Actually, he's coming out to watch my, uh, simulated in, innings tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to actually have a, uh, face-to-face meeting with him tomorrow. Um, he's about an hour and a half from me, roughly. So uh, looking forward to meeting him. We've talked a little bit on the phone. And, and uh, again, I, I'm excited to get working down at uh, down in uh, Mesa. Yeah, Emo's a great guy. You're going to love
5: him. Really, really smart. And obviously everything is about doing what's best for you. So I think you're really going to like working with Scott Emerson. And, you know, we just don't know what this season's going to be like because, you know, last year was only 60 games. Um, you know, a lot of minor leaguers haven't played. I just, you know, it, it, are you going to need 13 starters? Are you going to need 15 yeah. starters? I mean, you know, the, ideally you like seven, but how, how do you think this season's going to play
7: out? I really, I really, you know, me coming into the Oakland A's, uh, you know, I feel like we have a really strong core group of guys. And I think the core is there. Um, I'm hoping that we have, um, you know, I think every team is you hope that you have enough pitching to get through this season. So, um, and something that I've, I've, prid, prid, pride, myself in is, uh, just pitching and eating innings. And so it's important that, that we got guys that, that can do that too. And not just myself, but, you know, f- from top to bottom. And, and again, as I get familiar with the guys in the, in the group that's in that locker room, um, you know, I think this year has got, we got a lot of good things and I think it helps, it helped that uh, the A's were able to play in the postseason to get a couple extra games under their belt. Um, unlike other teams um, that, that didn't get to play. I mean, I know we had expanded playoffs last year, but um, you know, just those extra innings go a long way going into this season. And, and more importantly, you know, just, if guys were throwing live innings during COVID um, we don't know how many guys were, were staying active during that time either. So everyone's going to be on a, on a different schedule this year so I'm, I'm looking forward to it I think it's going to be a really really strong year for for us in Oakland you know the one, one positive that I want to take is that
5: you know guys of your generation have thrown so many pitches I know you've had Tommy John surgery before there's just so much throwing going on that Maybe, just maybe, some of this time off and a shorter season, more time off. Do you think a lot of pitchers are going to come back stronger because they've had a little less wear and tear
7: lately? Yeah, they definitely have. I, I think the, the health side of things, it gave guys more rest. And, and yeah, maybe that created a rusty 2020 season um, for some guys. And, and I might have fallen under that category. I don't think I am uh, because I kept, I kept throwing during COVID. I mean, I was – I think I logged around 50, 53 innings roughly just in COVID alone because I was able to face hitters and stay active and keep myself lengthened out um, when we were off here in here in Charlotte. So, um, you know, I, it's just going to be – everyone's going to be on a different scenario, but I think you're on to something when you talk about the health benefits of of having that time off and not playing a long season and our bodies breaking down to the point where it's – uh, we need a lot more recovery at the beginning of our offseason plan. So I think guys gonna be are, are gonna be a little bit more healthy. I think I think you're onto something there.
5: Yeah, and we gotta get these kids back to playing. I feel so bad for these really young minor leaguers, even college yeah. baseball, which college baseball finally is gonna get started again. I mean, to yep. lose a year of your career, I mean obviously 2020 was a horrific year, but I, I and I'm sure you've worked out with some of these younger guys. What what has it been like for them where they had no games, if, if you weren't at the alternate site, you
7: weren't playing at all. Well, you gotta think access to facilities, access to things that make these young players better. And that's that's access to video, that's access to, you know, the 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 big league or, or pro coaching. Um, and on top of that, maybe some of the technology that they like to use, um, you know, at their affiliates, uh, they didn't have that at home. So I think a lot of guys, really suffered and and hopefully guys were able to go play places um i know a bunch of guys that went over to australia to play more recently um and hopefully these winter ball situations are helping guys out but you know you just really don't know and and you really hope that that the minor league side of things you can get guys going and 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 start things off uh ahead of time but again we we there's no groundwork quite yet so we don't quite know what to expect and And I'm hoping that, uh, I'm just hoping for the best for everyone. Uh, Last year just was awful. And, uh, you know, we just haven't, just get baseball being played. And I think all of us will figure out how it's going to go.
5: Yeah, well, you, you know, out here on the West Coast, and you're from out here, I mean, these poor kids, there was no competition going on. There was, I mean, they. Yeah. I heard of, you know, buddies who have kids, they were going to like Arizona to play tournaments. Like here in California, nobody was playing anything. So I just, uh, I'm hoping for these kids to, and, and really in all sports, it doesn't matter, men's sports, female yeah. sports. I mean, everybody didn't play at all. So uh, just to get them going once again, you know, if, if you have a preference, what would you rather do? Would you rather start or would you rather come out of the bullpen?
7: I've logged the most innings as a starter um, and I'll start there, but I'll finish with, if I'm given a role to be able to work through some woes out of the bullpen, like I did in September um, of 2019 um, and I worked through some woes, you know, in a couple months earlier, um, you know, being able to work through those things out of the bullpen, not having done it before was extremely beneficial to me. So um, I'm hoping that, that moving forward, you know, I'm pitching opportunity is, you know, with the Oakland A's is, is something I'm excited for. It's something that, uh, is, is definitely an even better driving factor. Um, knowing that knowing that we're, I'm stepping into a organization that likes to play young players, um, and, and expect it and expecting us to win. And that's something that, uh, I definitely pride myself in is I don't want to go out there. Um, you know, when it's just a slop game, uh, I want to I want to go out there when the game's tight and and earn my experience that way and and earned and earn the innings that that are going to help me grow and s- succeed at the big league level. Um, but I, I love starting and <laughs> I, I've always been a starter. I'm comfortable there. Um, I had I felt that I, I got laid into ball games in all three of my starts in the big leagues um, back in 2019. Um, But then again, it's, we're talking about opportunity and, and whatever is there, I'm going to take it and I'm going to run with it and, and, and do the best I can. So you got a couple outings in 2020
5: and, you know, it was just a strange year for a lot of people. You know, some guys had great years, some guys didn't, but as a pitcher, when you think about adrenaline and coming into a game and the fans what was it like for you to not have any fans there and you're just looking around at a bunch of cardboard cutouts?
7: Yeah, I think the f- opening weekend still kind of felt you still had that adrenaline, but after opening weekend, it was, it was stale. Um, it felt, it felt that, uh, and, and in Philadelphia, especially, um, and I know we're going to be in Oakland, but in Philadelphia, especially you, you want, you want those fans in those seats, um, but, you know, it just felt stale. It, it felt dry. And, and the best way I put it was like playing high school baseball again, um, when it was just your coaches and a couple parents watching and your parents were the front office. So um, that's kind of how I thought of it. And uh, it just it was really, really difficult to get yourself motivated to go because the fans are are the most important thing um, and and. and we really enjoy playing in front of them, and I, and I know I know in Oakland it's, you feel just the same way. You want you want the fans there. It doesn't matter where you are.
5: Yeah, and I, I'm just kind of hoping now that, we, you know, when we're, we're turning on the television and you're seeing fans at uh, NFL games, you're seeing fans – we saw them in college football. We're seeing some – NHL, NBA. Just hope we can have some fans back because I I know they mean a lot to you guys, and you guys like to perform. Uh, Before we let you go, so you're getting in a little go kart action before before you head out to Arizona.
7: (laughs) Yeah, I am with my brother-in-law, who is actually a professional um, driver um, in a a different series, in a a racing series, and um, (laughs) uh, just something that he and I like to do in our off time and. And I'm just getting in a few laps before I head out, and um, having a lot of fun. We're, you know, this uh, GoPro Motorplex here is just amazing. And if anyone is out in North Carolina and, and close to Charlotte, you guys want to check this place out. These go karts are are no joke. Are you able to take your brother-in-law? Uh, I'm I'm about four tenths behind. So I'm I'm close, but I but I can't. I I got no shot. He. He he definitely knows his way way around a track. Uh,
5: so 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 he he, when you're saying he's so he's he's legit.
7: Yes, yes, he is a he's a champion in uh, the Lucas Oil Off Road Series. He knows what he's doing behind a wheel. Meanwhile, I'm just trying to follow him and feel like I'm putting in good laps.
5: Well, you know what? I, I'd love to say, uh, by the way, Kevin Franzen recommended you, our, our buddy Franny with the Phillies. Uh, you, he said you, said you got got to get him on. He is a great interview. Uh, we really appreciate the time. I'd like to say I, I'd be able to introduce myself down at spring training or uh, at the Coliseum later on this year, but uh, we, we've, we've been doing everything from our, from our home. So uh, hopefully we'll get to meet you soon. Be well, be safe, and you take care.
7: Yeah. Thank you for having me. And this was awesome. And, and, uh, I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to be on more.
5: Kevin Franzen came through. He's a great interview. It's what we look for. We look for guys that can talk and, uh, yeah, he's a California guy went to the university of Oregon. So he's used to be wearing, see in Oregon, they call it green and yellow. We call it green and gold. Um, some of us, kind of colorblind doesn't really matter. Uh, but he's used to wearing these colors. I, I look forward. I mean, he's a good guy and uh, he, he's going to get some time on the mound. I think there's no question about that.
6: I remember when he said that, he said the green and yellow. and I remember your eyes kind of like lit up and I was like, <laughs> and I was like, I was like kind of laughing and like, I, but then I realized like he's on here with us. And like, I think he just, he did the Google meet with us, but he turned the video off and he was, we were getting his audio. And, like, we were kind of – like, he was a good interview. I liked it. He's very personable. You know, it wasn't like he was giving one-word answer. So, uh, it, it's going to be hard to replace a guy like Liam Hendricks who came on – well, we didn't even have to ask him. He just came on uh, most of the time. Kind of like Fossey on the field. He just showed up. So, you know, it's going to be hard to replace a guy. But, you know, Cole is off to a good start already, and he says he wants to come on more. So, that's, uh, that's a really good first sign when you first meet someone.
5: Yeah. And we are a little um – how do I want to put this? We are a little aggressive about our colors, right? It's wedding gown, white. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't we're know. A, what I mean, we're, we're a little uh, Fort Knox gold. We're a little aggressive with our colors.
6: Yeah. I mean, but
5: yeah. I he'll get it. Hey, he's ready to wear the white cleats, baby. Let's go.
6: Uh, I loved when he said that. And, you know, someone that grew up in the Pittsburgh area, if you don't call it a uh, um, black and gold, uh, people get very upset, and then Wiz Khalifa came with black and yellow, and everyone's like, "No one got upset about him for doing that." But any other time sometimes says black and yellow, it's like, "No, no, no! It's 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 black and gold." Like, what are you talking because about? Because
5: black and gold is Steelers, Pirates, and Penguins. Yeah, all
6: the colors are the same.
5: It, it 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 probably. I've never even thought about this, Cody. Pittsburgh may be the only town where all the teams have the same colors,
6: right? Uh, if you, yeah, if you're going off the top of your head, I think they might be.
5: Top of my head, like, thinking about it. I guess the, I, I guess the, I guess, well, maybe Ken Korak will know. He's smarter than we are. He's been around a little bit longer than we have. Hello. Hey,
4: what's up, Chris?
5: The voice of, of summer, but you're the voice of winter right now, the voice of your Oakland Athletics. Ken Korak joins us. You know, Ken, we were just talking about it. You know, what's very unique about, Uh, Cody's hometown Pittsburgh is that Steelers and the Pirates and the Penguins all have the same color scheme. I don't know if you can find that anywhere else in American sports.
4: No, it's the only thing it just pops into my head that the University of California, I think all the schools are blue and gold in the UC system, maybe different shades of blue and gold, but You know, I know going to UCSB, uh, you look at Cal, UC Irvine, UCLA, of course. I think that's – I think those are the colors of the UC system, but –
5: I never thought Yeah, it's like,
4: you know, University of of Iowa football has always – they've always looked just like the Steeler uniforms, right? So, it is interesting that you mention that.
5: So, you know what? Now that you bring that up, I never thought about that. Yeah, because even, like, UC Riverside is blue, UC San Diego is blue and gold. I mean, I never thought about that.
4: Yeah. Well, you know, I happened to go to one of those schools. You know, I I conned con them into admitting me, I guess. So d- during Thanksgiving,
5: we went down to Santa Barbara. And, hey, by the way,
4: when was the last time you got a haircut?
5: Uh, it's been a while.
4: Yeah, it looks. <laughs> <but> <laughs> it's good to see you guys anyway. Sorry for that.
5: <laughs> no, I, it, we had Dave Cavill on yeah. earlier and I said to Dave, I'm like, Dave, I haven't seen you in over a year.
4: It's true. Yeah. In fact, I spent about a half hour with him on the phone um, in late December. And I think the genesis of, of that was just what you were saying, like because of the tears last year during the season, we didn't have a whole lot of face to face contact with people like Dave.
5: Yeah, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was good. To, and, and, and the fact what the A's are doing, Ken, I, I I know how much you understand what what this franchise means to the East Bay, and with the Warriors gone and the Raiders gone, and the fact that you know the A's have now done a deal with the White House and Governor Newsom, and they're going to be doing you know six thousand vaccines a day, uh, it just says a lot about what the A's mean to the community. And it was just you know we can talk baseball all we want, but this is so more important. This is about saving lives.
4: This is real life stuff, and you're right, Chris. I'm glad you mentioned that, and. The Coliseum has those advantages because of the central location and also the the vast parking lot. So we saw during the election that the Coliseum was used for that purpose. So there are a lot of great things, I think, that have, have come out of this. And it, it's so important because it's not that easy to get a vaccine, obviously. that And the rollout has been slower than I think expected, but I think it's going to pick up, right? And so um, any tool that we can utilize because it seems like there's a race against all these variants that are cropping up that we're hearing about. So yeah, kudos to the A's and all the people that made that happen. And um, it, it sounds like more and more vaccines will be available, which will make the Coliseum site all the more important.
5: Yeah. And we want to keep everybody in, in our A's world safe. And I, I, I've i talked to you about this and, you know, I've talked to Ray Fossey about this and then we want to make sure that everybody you know, when we're back going to work and doing the the everyday thing again, that everybody's protected because, you know that, that's what has to happen. And you know, I, I'm really looking forward to the 2021 season. You know, I, I you know I, I think it's going to be w- where the A's are. I know some people are panicking right now, but it's like you got to trust the pot process. I mean, you got to trust what Billy and David do. This is what they do. They're going to put a team on the field that's going to be one of the better teams in baseball, and could be a very exciting, very exciting season.
4: It's interesting too that you're right. And normally we and we're I think we're fired up for the start of baseball, regardless. But it's tempered a little bit because the A's just don't quite have their team yet, right? We're, we're not sure what this club is going to look like. And I was just I was checking um, MLB trade rumors today. There are still a lot of free agents out there, Chris. There aren't, I mean, most of the marquee names, Bauer is still out there, and there are a few, um, you know, more prominent free agents. But you never count the A's out as far as acquisitions are concerned, even now that we're only a couple of weeks from pitchers and catchers reporting. So I would think between now and then the A's might be active.
5: So what is it like for you? I mean, you've been the voice of this team for a long time what is it like for you? Because I think there, there's that date, the Super Bowl, right? Once the Super Bowl is played, you know, it's time for us to go to work again. What is it like for you? Because Super Bowl's here this Sunday.
4: It is kind of a demarcation that the page gets turned after the Super Bowl and you start thinking about baseball. But you know, the offseason, baseball never ends because there's so much talk and things to read about during the offseason, but as far as really getting ready and the preparation for me usually begins sometime in late December uh, when I start getting my notebooks ready and um, look at the team, like right now, looking at the teams in the American League West, but you do, you, the juices start flowing a little bit, I think after the Super Bowl, Chris, I think you're really right.
5: You know, I'm one of those guys. I'm a dinosaur. I love the magazines. So I get Athlon and all the yeah. Sporting news. But problem is getting those magazines now. Ken, as you just mentioned, we got close to like 200 free agents that haven't been signed. They're going to be these magazines and all of our preview stuff is going to be incomplete.
4: I couldn't wait to get this, the, the sporting news baseball preview, right? Every year you go get yeah. that and like the Athlon one. And you know we'd get that too during basketball and football too, but they're outdated. <laughs> There's, there's no question. So I think I think it's going to be an interesting time because I think now that it looks fairly certain that spring training is going to start on time, I think some of the clubs and maybe some of the agents were waiting just to see if that was going to happen. But you might see the activity really pick up in the next week to 10 days. Don't you think?
5: Yeah. good you know, guys want jobs, no question. And, right. you know, something that we talked to Scott Emerson about a little bit ago – And we talked to Ray Fossey about this and want to get your, your opinion on this. Like I have, I I couldn't even give you an over and under on the amount of guys that are going to start games. Like we've seen the A's start 13 in a successful season, start 13 guys. But now with, the, the, the innings you're going to need, the fact that we, we have pitchers that haven't pitched a full season in almost two years. You've got guys that you may normally rely on, like in AAA, who didn't even pitch at all last year. I, do you think you even have an idea of how many guys could potentially start? If we play 162, how many guys could actually start a game?
4: That's a great point because there are all those variables that you mentioned. And even if you pitched every fifth day last year during the truncated season, only made 11 starts so it was well well less than a half season so how those guys bounce back and recover and then as it pertains to the A's you have guys coming back off injuries I'm sure the A's would love to see A.J. Puck break camp with the club in the rotation but it's been a couple of years since he's been able to do that and I don't think you could expect him to make 30 starts I don't think you would want him to next year because he's coming back off another injury in the shoulder surgery and of course he's had Tommy John before that so that's an area that I'm hoping the A's go out and might get a veteran starting pitcher or two or or let's say a guy that could be a back-end starter Chris who if puck is okay and can start the season in the rotation the rest of the guys are healthy and you have your starting five that maybe that person might be able to slide into long relief so I think the A's might be in the market for that. I think it might behoove them to do that. The other thing is with the A's, I think it's time for some of these guys we've talked about for years to step up. It'll be one of the, the really interesting things to follow to chronicle during spring training. I'm talking not just about Puck, but guys like Caprillion and uh, Grant Holmes and Dalton Jeffries. Can those guys take the next step? Because if, if they can do that, then it's really going to help this ball club.
5: And I think we're going to see a record low when you, when you talk about that that 30-start plateau. Uh, just because just of what's been happening, I think we're going to see a record low in baseball, this history. So you're going to need all those guys. And I'm going to give you another name. And I think he's up for the challenge. I want to see it. I think, I, I don't know if it's at short. I don't know if it's at second. pender I think Chad Pender, this is his time. I think this is like the opportunity. Uh, you know, I don't know if Billy and David thought of him as an everyday guy back then, but I think things have changed, and especially with the way he finished 2020. I I, I think this is Chad Pender's time to claim a regular spot in the lineup.
4: At shortstop?
5: Or second.
4: I'd be tempted well, everybody knows I'm a big Pinder fan. You know that, and I know you yeah. are too. And he, he was great during the postseason. And I think he's a Gold Glove right fielder. But the A's have out there, especially if Steven is healthy. I think he can really bounce back. And he fills in. He fills in fine at third base, but the A's have Chapman over there. So I would be, I would be tempted to say to Pinder, okay, Chad, you're going to be our regular shortstop and play every day. No matter what, right-handed pitcher, left-handed pitcher, no platoon. Now you might, maybe you'd rest him against a really tough righty. If he's played a lot, you'd get a left-handed bat in there. But I think he could be an above-average offensive force at short. Now he was drafted as a shortstop. Uh, he's not going to dazzle people with his glove, but if he can play average short, and how much he means to the ball club when he's out there. The other thing, Chris, too, we talk about positions with all the shifting. Is you know. <laughs> how, how many times do you actually talk about your shortstop being like a pure shortstop and playing there against every hitter? And you've also got Chapman over there who can really help him out and really help Simeon out uh, with Matt's range. So I think he makes whoever he plays next to better. So I'd be kind of tempted to think about Pender opening uh, the season at short.
5: And, and I brought this up to Dave Feldman. I brought this up on the post game show. It's still a beef. When you put your shortstop out in right field and someone grounds out to him and he's in right field and I'm marking it 6-3, it's just wrong. He's not a shortstop. He's now a right fielder.
4: (laughs) That's right. And you got to put 6-3 in your scorebook or some kind of notation to say, well, it was 6-3, but he was in right field when he caught the ground ball. What
5: about Manny Machado when he was in foul territory down the right field line? He's a third baseman catching a ball down the right field line? I mean, come on.
4: Well, what about when Matt Olson comes up and they play four outfielders against him? (laughs) So if he pops out to the short, uh, let's just
5: say the shortstop goes out. So is it just he pops out to the shortstop, but it's in left center?
4: I guess. I don't know. You know, doing the games off the TV monitors last year, we were making it up as we went anyway. So I'm not sure the scorebooks were totally accurate to begin with. There's you know, some middle infielders that are still out there too, and you might be able to get in a free agency or maybe a trade. And I go back to what I said: I, I don't think the A's are done. And the other thing too would be the bullpen, right? Yeah. You have you have to restock that thing with maybe two or three or four more guys, even right now, wouldn't you think?
5: Yeah, I mean, there's a and there's over a what they say there's over 90 pitchers still out there, something like 90 to 100 pitchers that are out there. So there's plenty of guys. By the way, I you know, you're in Vegas right now. You probably didn't get to hear it, but uh, Ted Leitner is retiring, and he was singing your praises, by the way, the longtime voice of the San Diego Padres. Uh, uh, you know, you know, he's had a longtime relationship with Billy Bean, but old Teddy Ballgame was showing you some
4: love. Oh, that's really sweet of him. I didn't hear it, but... I passed along my best in it when, when you talk to him again, and because of interleague play, we haven't, I didn't have a chance to spend a lot of time around Ted over the years, but the last two or three times the A's played the Padres, I really made it a point to spend some time with him. He is really a nice man. And what did he do? Like 40 years for them? He was, he was on the air like three or four, like, I think almost 40 years.
5: Well, he, 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 he had been on television, since I was born in San Diego. And
4: And when was, when was that exactly?
5: 1972. So he did the sports for years, Padres, he did chargers, he did clippers. He's still going to do San Diego state, but I think, you know, Ken for us and, and, you know, more recently for me now that I get to know more of these guys, uh, you know, if you're able to have that full career and get out clean, it's a special
6: career.
4: The other thing with Ted is he's had some pretty serious health issues that thank goodness he's bounced back from. And I think that could weigh on you a little bit and also maybe influence your decision to get out of doing baseball every day or at least cut back. And he is going to work as an ambassador for the Padres, right? He will not be completely missing in action. He'll do some things for them. So uh, I'm thrilled for Ted. He had his own unique way of doing play-by-play, but he made a huge impact in San Diego, and like I said, everybody that's come in contact with him uh, has said he's really one of the nicer people in our business.
5: Well, I and I think about what it, what all you guys have had to go through. I mean, I know it's not digging ditches; I get it, but still, um, calling games off monitors at times you can't even see the games. I mean, there's been technical problems. Um, you guys have really grinded. You've done, a, and, and and for us as the fans. As we you know listen to every game, and it's just you guys have really done a terrific job in some really tough times. it hasn't been easy
4: well, I appreciate that, but I think in in it was challenging while the team was on the road doing the games off doing the games off the monitors, Chris, but I think in some ways it also was a little bit it was a little better than I anticipated. The home games were easier to do than I thought they would be, and I think one reason for that was kind of it's it's weird to say this was the piped in crowd noise i think the fact they had that and we could hear it in our headset gave us a little boost of energy so it wasn't just completely silent and dry there and i think for the for the listeners it kind of sounded like a regular game
5: oh i can tell you through A's cast or 960 i mean i you it, it sounded like a regular game um, obviously, when we're watching on television, I think the cardboard cutouts made TV. Wouldn't you say a little better? It was like fun, and you know, you had you had all these different crazy cutouts, I and mean, we had some really fun ones where you had Charlie O the Mule down the right field line. I mean, it, I mean, you made the you know Dave Cavill and his staff made the best of it.
4: And you had all those old A's players from like a hundred years ago down the left field <laughs> lines. Here some of the Hall of Famers. So. The other thing that really helps is if the ball club you're broadcasting for has a good year, because it really helps sustain your energy during the season that happened with the A's. And I think the quality of play was really good last year. I think if you just walked in off the street and didn't know the difference, I think you would say that the players were playing as hard as they would have played even during a normal year. I really felt that way. And I even felt, during the postseason, because we didn't know what that was going to feel like, right? I mean, the A's have been in so many postseason series. There was a lot of intensity during the postseason. So the, the, there was a, a lot of the tests from that standpoint were passed by baseball last year.
5: Well, you know, Cody and I didn't get to go to the ballpark last year, and everything was done from, from our houses. But, yeah, I mean, the White Sox series was super intense. I mean, obviously, down at Dodger Stadium, there's no love loss between the athletics and the Astros. That was intense. And I, I, I get people who come back at me with, well, the A's haven't won a World Series. But, you know, the A's right now, Ken, trying to go to the postseason for the fourth straight year. I mean, you look at the product they've been putting out on the field. I mean, it's it's been a winning product. And and I got to think that going to be right in the hunt again in, in 2021.
4: 11 postseasons in the last 21 years. It'll be more of a challenge without Simeon. They're really going to miss him. And what he meant to the club on the field and uh, his entire family. I remember when his dad was playing football at Cal and what, what he's meant off the field as well. So, so that'll be a challenge, I think, to get past that. But they still have a very good core of, of players coming back. Uh, they have elite players at, at first and third and catcher center field. Uh, the outfield, Canada's coming off another really good year. Uh, so, yeah, I would expect them to be in the mix, and I'm sure Bob Melvin feels that way as well, Chris.
5: Well, that's the one thing that you know. The skipper, he comes to play every day. and That's the one thing I think we've learned and we've really appreciated about right. Bob yeah. Melvin. It's 27 outs every day, ready to go. I mean, you, you talk to him every day. Yeah.
4: Well, i got a great Bob Melvin story to duck in for you because he's such a Bay Area guy, that the other night, uh, my wife and I were just sitting watching TV at home, and I got a text from Bo Mel, and the text says, do you get NBA TV? You know, like it's, it's Channel 318 out here on the cable, NBA television. And I said, yeah, I get it. So I flipped over to NBA TV. Now, Bo Mel was watching, and he alerted me to, the, to a game that was played in 1970 at the Coliseum. Coliseum arena between the Cincinnati Royals and the San Francisco Warriors. Wow. Playing at the Coliseum, but they were still the San Francisco Warriors. in '70 Because it was Bill King and Hank Greenwald doing the play by play. Is the big O in this game. The big O took over the Warriors. Like had a 13 point lead in the fourth quarter and the big O like scored the last 10 or 12 points of the game. You know how big O could just dominate a game late. He was like the first big guard. Uh, he had that kind of presence on the floor, and it was because of I think Bo Mel and his fondness for Bill and the great memories that that game brought back for him. Uh, because Bo Mel had great uh, long-standing ties to the Warriors back even when he was a kid, yeah. so that was a cool kind of you know exchange. And we were just exchanging text message texts because something would happen, Bill would say something or Hank would say something, and I get a text from from Melvin. But his roots in the Bay Area go back really deep.
5: You know, when you think of Bill King, and when you're doing the job, it's just the job that you do. You know, you work for the Raiders, you work for the Warriors, you work for the A's. Did Bill really know and understand how many iconic games he really called, or was it just his job?
4: I think he knew and I think he knew the impact that he had on other people Chris but he he really was reluctant to acknowledge that I think publicly because he was so self-deprecating and I think at his at the core of who he was he was a broadcaster I don't think he saw himself as a celebrity but I think that he he was aware of the impact that he made and how fortunate too that he was to be able to broadcast for three Major League teams at the same time and be part of so many historic moments in the history of the Bay Area. So, yeah, I think he was aware, but it it wasn't something he liked to talk about a whole lot.
5: Yeah, his record...
4: Hank Greenwald would do, like, the first five or six minutes of the third quarter. These were simulcast back then. So, and they were great friends, and they were great friends until the the day that Bill died.
5: Yeah, uh, Bill's record with the Raiders was a little better than mine.
4: Slightly better. You didn't have George Lander, though.
5: <laughs> I had some rough seasons, my friend. Yeah, you
4: did. I know.
5: But you know, that's the thing that and you're the same way. You like to downplay it, but like I say, you're the voice of some, you're the voice of the A's. You've got these generation generation of kids who grow up listening to you. They're they're, you know, it's a huge responsibility that you guys like to deflect, but it's real. Of, of what you mean to so many different fans
4: well and i I appreciate that, but I also appreciate the faith that the as have shown in me to tell their story, and they 've been really good about allowing me to do that so i haven 't had too many moments where I was looking over my shoulder wondering what they were thinking, so all of this kind of goes hand in hand i 've had great broadcast partners, as you know, and people like yourself have been great friends, so i 'm um, really thrilled that it 's worked out. Um, this is going to be my 26th season with the A's. And who would have thought that, right? When I was when I was doing single-A games up in Roner Park in
5: 1981. God, and when were you with the White Sox?
4: My first year with the White Sox was 92. Wow. 92, 3,
5: 4, and 5. Wow, it's been a great career, no question. I you know what? I can speak for the fan base. We're all just looking forward to to listening to you and Vinny get back on the air and with Ray Fossey. I I don't know exactly when everything's going to go down. It's going to go down. Hopefully we'll have some more answers soon, but uh, I think the good news is that baseball is committed to playing the full season, and we're not uh, that far away from having you guys back on the air.
4: And Fossey, of course, is always a big part of our spring training coverage from uh, the Valley of the Sun as well.
5: Fossey would be ready to go right now.
4: Fossey, if they told him that baseball was 365 days a year, <laughs> he would say, "When can I sign up for that?" Well, you guys mean so much to us. I take one day off last year. I worked 59 games out of 60. What are you doing, taking a day off? Come on, you don't need a day off. Oh, he's the he's the workhorse. Well, you know
5: we we, and I know he was close to you and, and Dick Callahan meant so much to all of us and. You know, we're just out of time. We want to keep everybody safe and keep you guys safe and 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 uh, keep keep our A's fan, our, our A's family rolling. That's a big thing right now, I think, for all of us.
4: Yeah, and I know you you talked quite a bit about Dick Callahan on your show Friday, and you were very close to him, as I think we all were. And I know you've got to go. One of the great pleasures for me during the season, or even when I was up in the Bay Area during the offseason, the dinners with Callahan. Because when you went out to dinner with Dick in all the towns up and down the 680 corridor and out 24 and out that way, he knew everybody. He was like the mayor of all those little towns out there. So going out to dinner with Dick was one of the, the great joys of being in the Bay Area.
5: Well, we miss you. Be safe and uh, can't wait to hear you on the air.
4: Thanks, buddy. Talk to you then.
5: The great Ken Korak, the voice of your Oakland Athletics right here. On A's Cast Live, and hopefully, you know, with you know our broadcasters, they're going to get the vaccine and be ready to rock. Season's right around the Cody. I, I hope you're ready. Season's right around the corner.
6: Yeah, and we saw an. Uh, an uh, we haven't got a chance to bring it up yet, but another free agent uh, reliever slash closer has signed. Alex Callum on the show. Yeah, Alex Colomay, the new. Potential closer for your Minnesota Twins. So the Twins aren't messing around this off season.
3: That's a, that's a good move.
6: So that and then Kylie McDaniel, our friend from ESPN, just put this tweet out a little bit ago. He says if his math is right, Major League Baseball passed the one billion dollar mark in free agency spending in the last few days. Now sitting at a little over one billion. Over over half of that, five hundred thirty eight million, was spent on the top on top eight deals. Springer one hundred fifty. JT Real Muto, 115.5, DJ Lemayhu 90, Liam Hendricks, 54, um, James McCann, 40 and a half, Michael Brantley, 32, and then Dee and the uh, Korea, the KBO star Kim from Korea, each getting $28 million. So those are the biggest deals signed so far this offseason.
5: By the way, since we've been talking about vaccination and COVID-19 a lot today because of what the a's are going to do with the white house and california i thought a good sign today was there has not been an nba player test positive for covid for a while now every single player has passed their test so zero so the athletic had it about an hour ago Zero NBA players tested positive for COVID nineteen for the first time since January twenty seventh. That's four hundred and eighty two tests.
6: Yeah, and hockey's um I don't want to say if hockey hockey's having some cancellations recently, but the NBA's been doing a lot better and you know, there was something with the Super Bowl with uh the the Chiefs Barber or something has COVID. So like that was like causing a scare or whatnot, but you know, uh, the Super Bowl will will happen on Sunday. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're, they're going to play the game So That's a pretty big deal on uh, Sunday. But, you know, we're not going to have time for buying or selling today. But well, by
5: the way, Jim Nance. So, Jim Nance did not go to San Diego for the Farmers. That's the tournament down Torrey Pines. He did it from up here in Monterey. You could tell they were putting Jim in a bubble for the Super Bowl.
6: Well, I'm glad that uh... – CBS has the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I can't wait to hear him, him and Romo on the call. Just hear him go. Uh, just hear Nance go, Tony. Well, anytime, <laughs> anytime Romo yeah. makes a call. But yesterday I was watching MOB Now, and they had Dan O'Dowd on, and he was talking about Nolan Arenado going to the Cardinals, and uh, he talked about how he thinks it's going to be a good thing since uh, he's going to be moving away from the mountain. Here's what Dan O'Dowd had to say yesterday on MOB Now.
2: I actually think he'll
3: do very well physically in St. Louis, getting out of the wear and tear of altitude. You know, Matt Holiday is a perfect example of that. Um, I think he'll have even more sustained success uh, when when he gets away from the grind of having to deal with that uh, year in and year out. So I think he's going to be a great player in St. Louis. I think he's going to be a great player everywhere he goes.
6: So that was Dan O'Dowd, a friend of the program. It's really funny because I listened to that and I thought I heard that somewhere before that I remembered. I heard it on Monday and it came from, from you.
5: It is hard to play in elevation. I didn't know this. I've never lived in elevation. I've always lived at sea level, but they will tell you how hard it is on your body to play in elevation. And that's why when people go, Oh, but Larry Walker, look what he did at Coors Field or Todd Helton, people who live there and play there will tell you, Hey Jack, it's not easy. And it's not easy playing an elevation. And then when you go on the road, you're not playing an elevation. I didn't realize how hard, and you know, there's a reason why boxers like Oscar de la Hoya would always go to big bear and train because it's so tough on your body. And you, you know, you want to build up the stamina in your lungs. So I think for Arnado getting off the mountain will probably do wonders for his body and not having, you know, you know, you go to Coors Field now only for a three-game set instead of playing 81 games there and living there. And, you know, players for the Rockies will tell you, when, when you go on the road, it's so, I mean, life is just so different. Elevation's no joke. So I think for Arenado, probably getting off the mountain, this is going to be good for his career long-term.
6: Some people say I never make any good points on this program. <laughs> Dan O'Dowd clearly told us once before, he goes, I love listening to your show. So clearly Dan O'Dowd stealing our material and running it on MLB now. So not only do we tell Brian Kenny that we steal his material, oh. now it's now it's being used back on us. Would not be the first time people have taken from my show
5: and used it as their own and they got caught. But obviously, Dan O'Dowd being on the East Coast can't listen to (laughs) East Coast live. So, I love. I I I think he is. Um,
6: I think he's fantastic. Oh, he's. I I enjoy his uh his input all the time when he's on the network. Actually, you know what? I like them all. Like like Jim
5: Bowden, uh, Steve Phillips, Steve Phillips, the Duke, uh, the Duke, uh, Duquette. I I I like. uh, You know, it'd be like. It'd be the same thing of like Billy Bean or David Force went in, in, into television. I mean, these guys have so much experience running franchises that they know the ins and out, ins and outs of baseball. They understand payroll. They understand ownership. They understand managers hiring, firing, free agents, draft. I mean, they 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 get it. They've all lived it, and they've all lived it. With multiple organizations, because Dan O'Dowd, I mean, when Cleveland was was when Cleveland was rolling big in the mid to late nineties, he was there. I mean, he's the only guy that has led the Rockies to the World Series, and we've seen how hard it is to win in Colorado. He was the guy that got the Rockies to the World Series, uh, and it was great to have him on.
6: Down in, is that the last time we had him on? Was the winter meetings? No, we had him on a, like a month or two ago. Uh, was when we had yeah. him on, we got to meet him in San Diego, which was really cool. And he told the story about how him and Billy, what went out to breakfast, and they wrote down a deal on a napkin or something, or something like that happened. But uh, yeah, there's like it, it, it was. It, it, this was a great. How much time we got? Um, well, we have as much time as you want, but we're at four o'clock. But go ahead. Okay, so
5: essentially, so everybody thinks everything happens at the hotel. But if you really want to get a deal done, you're either going to somebody's room, or you're getting out of the building. And I don't remember what town it was in, but Dan O'Dowd and Billy Bean essentially went to a restaurant away from the hotel, and and put a trade together. And the two have great respect for each other, you know, because Dan O'Dowd, Billy Bean have been in the game a long, long time, but. Him telling us that story was so funny because you would think like like now with social media and everything that's going on and everybody has a cell phone with a camera on it to take pictures. Back in the day, two GMs could literally go somewhere, have breakfast and put a trade together and no one puts two and two together. Like nowadays, if Billy Bean... So our last winter meetings was San Diego. If Billy Bean pick a GM, if Farhan and Billy Bean went to breakfast outside of the hotel, there would be people taking pictures. They'd be putting it on Twitter. They'd be putting it on Instagram. I mean, life as a deal maker and a GM is so different now when you're out in public versus what it was for these guys back in the day
6: when no one had a phone. Remember who's the first guy we saw when we got out of the, the Uber? Bobby Evans. Yeah, there you go.
5: <laughs> like seriously we, we like we 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 fly in, Uber over to the hotel and get out, and who's standing right there? Former Giants GM Bobby Evans. Bobby, how you doing, Chris Oh yeah, yeah. God, I've had Bobby on my, my shows for years. And actually you know we got Bobby on the show. I mean it I mean it's it's the winter meetings are really cool. But I think for these deal makers, I mean, you got to, you got to, I mean, you got you to gotta, kind of got to get out of Dodge to be able to really meet with somebody. And, you know, I remember there was the uh, the year that uh, Dan Duquette s- uh, signed Manny Ramirez. Are they in Nashville or something like that? And it was in the middle of the night where, Essentially, Manny agreed with the Boston Red Sox to leave Cleveland, and I want to
6: say it was one of the first $200 million contracts. Remember that? It might have been a kid
5: when that happened. No, it
6: it was one of the first $200 million contracts. I think it was him, and then then A-Rod ended up breaking it. But, yeah, it was. Yeah, they agreed to that. That was like 2.30
5: or 3 o'clock in the morning in Manny's room, I think, where they agreed to that. And that was a big deal because Cleveland had all those great players. They'd been to the World Series. They lost, but you know they had set the uh, Jacobs Field at the time. They had set the attendance record for most sellouts. And Manny left Cleveland to go to Boston. That 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 deal was done like a because I think that was an HBO series that they did. That thing was done like at two thirty in the morning. Far different now. I mean, far different now.
6: There's one thing before we go I want to tell you, I'm, and I had this for you on Monday and I forgot. In the eight years Nolan Arnato played in Colorado, how many seasons did the Rockies finish less than 16 games out of first place? Okay, played how many years? Eight? Eight. And so the question is, how many se- out of those eight did they finish less than 16 games out of first okay, place? well, if we just do the math, Cody, the Dodgers have won eight
5: straight National League West titles, yeah, so every year that Nolan Arenado has been in the big leagues, the Dodgers have won the division.
6: yeah it's been it was one, yes, it was one year uh, it was the year they lost to the Dodgers by one game in the NL West. The year that they wanted the playoffs the first time, they finished seventeen games behind the Dodgers, and they were the second wildcard team because it was Arizona and then them so one just time, one time one time they finished less than sixteen games out of first place.
5: And that goes back to the business like, OK, he's a franchise player and you want to own his jersey. You don't win with him. Now, I would like to have him. But you don't win with him.
6: Right? Uh, no, you made the playoffs twice and you didn't even. End uh, did, they, did they beat the Diamondbacks? I think they beat the Diamondbacks in that card game. But it didn't matter. They didn't they didn't win the World Series. They went to the World Series one time and that was with Josh Fogg, Aaron Cook, Ubaldo Jimenez, Jeff Francis, a who's who of starting pitchers in that rotation? You
5: know, there's always going to be player movement. The one guy that you can't let go is the quarterback. Everybody else is expendable. Michael Jordan played for the Washington Wizards. Let's not forget that. Right? Michael (laughs) Jordan played for the Washington Wizards. I know we hate movement. We want to keep the same guys, but if Michael Jordan can be a Washington Wizard, anything can happen. Tom Brady's
6: a Buccaneer. Well, they're in the Super Bowl, but that's another one. Joe Namath was a Ram. It's another one. I mean, Johnny Unitas was
5: a Charger. You're talking
6: about the... Players of all time. Jerry Rice is a what was it, Denver? Was it Denver he was on? That was really weird. Jerry Rice was a Bronco and a Seahawk. Yeah. And a and a Raider after after he's on San Francisco. Well, he was still good with the Raiders, but yeah. after that,
5: I mean Jerry Rice is arguably the greatest football player of all time and he was a Bronco and a Seahawk. Yeah. Ladanian well, Tomlinson is a jet. Like what? Oh yeah. There, there's some that are just they're hard to believe. Yeah, but all right, Cody. We'll be back on Friday. We're going to replay this show, but we're back on. What do we got on
6: Friday? I'm still working on it. I'm trying to effort. Legendary uh, pitching coach, now NFL coach, uh, quarterback coach Tom House. So that's the guy I'm trying to work on. Who, by the way, when we went over the draft, I didn't realize he was in the first draft. Yeah, in the first with draft, Ray Fosse and Rick Monday, and he also caught Hank Aaron's record-breaking home run as well. And one of the classy... Classiest moves ever. Took the ball and gave it to Hank. Yeah. So he also worked with Tom Brady. So perfect to have him on. If I can do if we can do it. Well, you know, prior to Super Bowl Fifty Five. The Super Bowl. Can't wait. All right. We'll see everybody on Friday. Be safe. Be well.
5: Take care.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.